Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Jones Sports. I'm Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Angelica Trinone of uh, Golden Blue Nation, covering the West Virginia Mountaineers. We'll get her perspective on everything that's gone on since Bob Huggins uh, moved on as the head basketball coach there. That program. What's next for them? Also talk some uh, football with uh, Neil Brown under some heavy pressure entering this season and also the future of the Big 12 Conference with the new members officially joining this week and what's ahead for that conference. We'll get the West Virginia perspective when Angelica joins us coming up later on in the show. We'll also have our uh, top photo story of the week, Big 12 breakdown, draft season this week. We will pick the athletes you love to hate. And we have a guest picker this week, Jose Soto, in for Coach Bo, who's off this week. And uh, Thomas Bridges here with me, as always, as uh, we hold things down. Tom, just off a uh, trip to Nashville, and I'm about to head to Chicago tonight. So, uh, I got to tell you, it has been uh, a wild couple of days. Uh, Much like the NCAA tournament, I have survived and advanced on to the next round here, Tom. I'm in Nash Vegas, baby. I mean, you know, I I know that on um, what was it? I know on Monday you were, um, you know, I know Monday morning you must have been feeling great day on the flight oh. back, Alice. Yeah, I uh, I flew in. I got back at like seven a.m. and I had to be in the office for a meeting at nine thirty. Um. So yeah, that was a quick turnaround. And then on top of that, Tom. Like, I I got a little, like, congested. Like, you know, dealt with uh, some allergies, little, you know, uh, dry throat of some sorts uh, when I came back. So, it was, uh, it all hit me. You know, it was, Nashville hit me more ways than one, besides just my wallet. We'll put it that way. Yeah, and that's not your first rodeo taking that. I wouldn't, I guess your flight wasn't necessarily a red eye. Um, but it was, you know, I bet you probably had red eyes when you got on. I, I slept about two hours the night before, uh, put it that way. Um, but Nashville, Tom, uh, was an incredible time. Went out to the NASCAR race out there and met up with some old friends of mine and, uh, stopped by the, uh, Outkick Studios and visited, uh, with, uh, Chad Withrow and, and the guys there at Outkick, uh, there at Sixth and Peabody, had a great time checking out their facility, and then uh, went over to the grand opening of the uh, Barstool Bar there in Nashville. And I'll say this, Tom, uh, I was not going to put this on social media. I wanted to let time pass, and that way it, it couldn't be held against me of some sorts. But you know how I operate when I go out and about. I play by my own rules, right? And I sometimes stumble into things and I find myself in places I'm not supposed to be and it all just magically works out. I kid you not, Tom, uh, in the latest adventure in the Summer of Jones and in my uh, operations of bidding the system, I found my way on accident, I'm dead serious about this, into the uh, VIP section at the Barstool Bar, where all the Barstool people were hanging out, uh, you know, Alex Bennett, Jordan Woodruff, uh, Large, Tommy Smokes, uh, Stephen Shea, the entire gang 
and along with all these people that paid all this money to be there. And once I found out I was there, I was I was not leaving, and uh, I enjoyed the rest of the night there with the uh, the VIPs, and and uh, worked out as these things just happened to always do, some way or another. Was it free drinks? Uh yes. Oh well, see so you can't beat that. I wouldn't have left either because the rest of the drinks in Nashville, if you got to charge like nine dollars for a damn high noon, um, you know, you know you're uh, it ain't it ain't about the the drinks being pricey anymore. It's about but the atmosphere. At this I point, because I've been day drinking all day, um, I had already spent like well over a hundred dollars on alcohol at this point. By the time I found myself in the VIP section. Yeah, so you earned it. I mean, if I would have found that's like me, I just had to eventually the next day break down and just buy a bottle from the liquor store and just drink it at the uh, little apartment Airbnb we were staying at because I wasn't going to spend any more money like I did the night before. So I don't blame you. Um, I would have intentionally snuck in if I could have to the VIP just for the free drinks. So don't blame me there. Yeah, it was uh, one of the highlights of uh, my week was uh, getting the uh, the VIP treatment without even trying. I mean, it's amazing how those things work. Now, there was a photo out there uh, on social media of me and Stephen Shea of uh, Borstool standing side by side, and people think that I'm Stephen's doppelganger. And I'm like, you know, may maybe they're onto something. Stephen's not a bad-looking guy, so uh, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh I didn't even know we were next to each other. And all of a sudden uh, I see a picture from Megan making money on social media that, uh, you know, we're, we're there together. And like, uh, this is doppelganger. Like I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, I guess. Uh, you got to take them where you can get them. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I mean, no one, no one called you out. So I think you're fine. Well, no, I no, mean, I did get a couple replies. People mentioned on Twitter, that's Tyler Jones. <laughs> Oh really? Yes. That's <laughs> I got I'm trying to go. Did you retweet it? I did not because by the time I saw it, I had been drinking that much. I'm like, I can't be posting on social media right now. Oh, fair enough. Um, but it's pretty much all I've heard about the last couple of days. People wondering, are Stephen Shea and I the same guy? I guess Is not. Steven there was this. Did Stephen Shea post it? Uh, Megan making money posted it. Gotcha. I gotta. I gotta see if I can find this. That's hilarious. I. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not shocked. I mean, you always do Don't find your way. You always find your way into something. So I, for one, am not shocked. Yeah. It always works out one way or the other. And I feel like it will be the same case in, in Chicago this upcoming weekend. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, as now nah, I can't make that joke. It's too soon. I won't do that. I won't make that. I won't make that NASCAR joke just yet. Uh, give me a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you if you know anything about NASCAR in Chicago this week, then, you know, RIP, that sucks. But, uh, you know. Y'all, you always end up finding your way into something. So I'm not shocked, as long as you don't get shot at in in Chicago this week. Just oh because, because, yeah, I mean, 
more guns go off in Chicago than a gun range every single day. So, um, you definitely be, I mean, you can mess around in Nashville. Don't you get messed around in, in, in Chirac. Uh, the F around and find out, uh, you've seen that video, right? Oh yeah. You can. Oh, I see this. Oh my gosh. That's I'm looking at this picture. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> oh yeah, this guy goes, yeah, but his doppelganger's way taller. Is that Tyler Jones? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Oh my god, did you see the other reply? I, I I did see several replies. We don't need to repeat them all. Oh, he's linked up with his doppelganger. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Did you block that person? I did not. You should. Oh, I should. Oh, man. Oh, my God. You shouldn't even told me this. <laughs> oh, I, I regret it already. Oh, my God. That is funny. Oh, man. So that was part of my weekend. It was a good time. Um, Tom, also interesting headlines this week. I... I I figured you would be the right man to talk about this, that we, you know, we, we are a sports show for the most part, but we dive into issues that people care about. And I got to tell you, this submarine thing, uh, first and foremost, you know, we, we're thinking of the people that died and it's tragic what happened and all that. But what the hell were they doing? Like, who thought that was a good idea? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to respond to that one. <laughs> yeah, like, what? What? What happened? This, this was so avoidable. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it would. It would be avoidable, and it's just like, ah, like. I, that's what I'm saying. It's, it was so avoidable that I don't even know. I don't even know how to process it, if that makes sense. Right? Like, I, I'm just I'm just shocked that it happened the way that it did when you had these experts saying that it was a bad idea, don't do this, and then they go through with it. I mean... After the first two people said no, you you waited until you found somebody to say yes. I mean, like, what the hell? Yeah, and then to just get locked into it, that's where I would have no opening. You know, I get it at that depth that it's not going to, but at the same time, like, as soon as they're like, yeah, you get bolted in here, I'd have been like, ah, no, 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 we're not doing that. I mean... Um, if you knew you were about to die and you were enclosed in there and there was nothing you could do, what do you even do at that point? What do you do to enjoy your last hours on earth? How do you know? I don't know what you do at that point. You know, I know that it spontaneous. Well, not, I wouldn't call it spontaneously combust by any means, you know, like it under that pressure, it just like warped and they most likely didn't even know or didn't feel anything. Um, but at the time, the speculation was that it didn't, you know, implode. And so that they were running out of oxygen. 
Well, that goes back to the bolted thing. What if they had floated to the top and they just couldn't find them and they're sitting floating in the water, you know, where you, where the opening would have been above water and just sitting there just bobbing up and down in the sea, but they can't get it open because it's literally, you know, hex bolted together and you're sitting there waiting for someone with one of those NASCAR drill guns to come go and open up the hatch but you're sitting in there on the top of the water just uh you know just waiting for someone to come drill you out of there absolutely not yeah like i i I couldn't believe it tom but at the same time i'm like we're dumb enough as a society to to do something like this too oh yeah i mean it just it's you know if it's one thing if they'd have been like hey man listen Tom, you can go in this thing. We've taken it down to the Titanic before, and here's the deal. It's free for you. Or even better, hey, we're going to give you $250,000 to get in this deal. At that point, with no prior knowledge, I'd probably get in it. Um, I'm going to be real with you. If, if, if they had, um, you know, if they had done it before and they were going to pay me $250,000 to get in, and they had done it before a couple times. That that's what I'm saying. You know, they'd done it before and they were if they were gonna pay me, no way I'm paying two hundred and fifty thousand to get in that. Now, on the flip side of things, the ocean is cool or whatever. Um, you know, not a big deal. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. I could give a shit less about the Titanic. It's just really a story about a boat that was a piece of shit. Um so yeah, I don't I don't really care. I know the whole story. I've seen the movie. I know what it's about. Now, if they said, Hey, you got all this money, give me let me take that money and let me get it let me let me put it on the uh you know, let me put that towards a space ride. I'd much rather go to space and experience zero G <laughs> than to go see the Titanic. Right? Now, maybe one of these days I'll get my shot because I did see the Richard Richard Branson uh, version Galactic um, mentioning mentioning rides, and I know has sold tickets. So maybe one of these days I'll get my shot, but I'm going to give it a few more years of tech to come out. I need the right technology to come out because I think people even thinking about taking Richard Branson's Virgin trip to space are probably a little hesitant right now after all this. Two things, Tom. First off, wasn't there something like sickly ironic that this was titled, you know, the Titanic experience here? I mean, like, of all things, right? I mean, yeah, they go down to see a bunch of people who got on a massive, you know, at that time was thought to be the most technologically advanced uh, ship of all time. It was like the... I was literally called the Titanic, like the Titan, the you know, the the best to ever do it, essentially. They could have called it the GOAT at that point um, because it was like a modern marvel of uh, technology, you know, like technological advances in, in engineering. And uh, I think they thought it was so badass that the captain just, from what I understand, just said, oh, no icebergs match for this ship and just said, hey, let's just drive right on in and was ultimately the downfall so and at that point you're also right you want to make some comparisons a bunch of rich fucks on a ship 
and then a bunch of rich fucks in a submarine going to see the rich fucks on the ship um, ultimately make the same demise. I mean, RIP to those people. I don't care. You know, I see a lot of jokes about it. And all the jokes are really actually hilarious. Um, and I have a pretty sick sense of humor, though. Um, but at the same time, I still do feel em- empathy for those people. Um, would have felt a little bit more if it came out that they died running out of oxygen. But I guess it's maybe a little comforting maybe to know that most likely they didn't know anything happened. It was just instantaneous because the pressure that that thing buckled under would have, you know, split them. It would essentially have done the, um, you know, it would have done the Avengers. Um, what's his name? The villain, the snap and uh, made them essentially disintegrate in the thin air or at this at this in this rate very heavy dense water right yeah um literally vaporized how about this too my, my other point and then we, then we move on to this isn't it crazy that like we've been to space and done all these crazy you know all these awesome things in space but technology and all this we haven't figured out a way to get to the bottom of the ocean like this i mean you would think i mean i you know they say however much of the ocean is uh unexplored and i think i mean there's definitely a reason because the pressure is so high um you know that it'll essentially what happened to that ocean gate is it caved in on itself i mean it was so pressure was so heavy under that much you know, that mass of water, that density just caved it in. I mean, and, you know, and we have some pretty strong material, but, uh, and there's other things that are, you know, not, you know, able to be uh, manned or captained, I guess. I don't know the right term um, for things that go that deep. We've been deeper than that um, and have footage of, you know, the depths of the ocean, but nothing that, uh, man could be in because of that pressure. So, um, and I don't know, I don't know the, li- there's gotta be a limit to everything. And so if that material is not durable enough, then, you know, there's, there's a reason that that sank to the bottom. Maybe man's not supposed to go that far. Yeah. Uh, I wish we knew, uh, it's bizarre uh to say the least uh the story and as we find more information it even gets crazier by the day uh, as far as that goes tom uh we'll, we'll shift gears uh move on now the uh, nba draft in the books um you know i gotta say the draft itself kind of boring uh last week we we knew that victor was gonna go to the spurs and brandon miller ended up going to charlotte and scoot went with the third pick to Portland, it's like, all right. Uh, and the TV coverage was just disaster, by the way. Um, Malika and whoever else was on there, like Jay Billis was the only good thing. Like that, that was painful to watch that NBA draft last week. But now we shift gears and we get ready for free agency. And, you know, it feels like that. The couple, there, there's only a few dominoes really to fall in place here, Tom. You got James Harden, who sounds like is expected to go back to Philly. Draymond uh, is out there. Um, you know, he's a possibility. And there's Kyrie Irving, and that's kind of it. Like this, this free agency 
doesn't have the pizzazz of a uh, typical free agency period here. We we need some type of big trade or two to happen to kind of juice things up here. Because I, I, I'll be honest, like with the draft being so milk toast and not a whole lot of big names in free agency, it it, it feels like a pretty boring offseason so far. I mean, yeah, for every other NBA team that's not the Spurs, because I'm, for one, just overjoyed, over the moon, overhyped. Um, and I know that the Spurs will be on TV much more this year than they have been in the past three. So I'm super stoked for that. But you're right, there hasn't been any major blockbusters per se. I mean, you had the Chris Paul trades. Um, You know, Jordan Poole going to the Wizards. You just had... um. Oh, can't think. See, this isn't even that major of a deal because I just heard about it today. Whoever got, I don't even think Damian Lillard's getting traded right now. No, no. I mean, as we record this, I mean, it's two hours back over in Cali, so it's probably 9 p.m. Well, it's about 9 p.m. over in Portland, and I know Draymond Green is dining with Damian Lillard tonight. Um at some Portland restaurant that Damian Lillard bought out and canceled everybody else's reservations for tonight. Um, so know that, know that that is probably happening right now. Um, who trying to think what other trade? Let's see. I feel bad for not knowing this off the top of my head and I'm looking it up. I'll be honest with you, but one trade happened, I think today or yesterday or the day before, um, someone got sent to the Utah Jazz. Uh, and- Collins did from Atlanta. Oh, John. Yeah, you're right. John Collins got traded. Finally, he for was Rudy on the Gay. Yeah, for yeah, for Rudy Gay and what a second round pick or something. Yeah. Um, but John Collins was about to get traded forever. I mean, so this was bound to happen at one point, but nothing, you know, nothing crazy that moves the needle that much. Not yet. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, as far as the Portland thing goes with Damian Lillard and you mentioned, you know, him meeting with Draymond and, you know, Scoot Henderson coming to town and all this. And, you know, I I hear the talking heads like Stephen A saying Damian Lillard shouldn't have to coexist with Scoot Henderson. Basketball is becoming positionless, Tom. And, you know, I, I think if you're Portland or, you know, if you're Damian Lillard, you should want to have the best roster you possibly can. And Scoot was the third best player in this draft and the best available player when they picked at number three. And I know he's a young cat. He's 18. They played the same position. But a smart coach, I think, Tom, could make that work and make them coexist. If I'm Portland, Damian Lillard's still in his prime, still playing good basketball. I, I, I try to take advantage of Scoot being a rookie and seeing what you can assemble the best team you can uh as far as i'm concerned if damien doesn't want to be there that's one thing then maybe you move on from him but if he wants to be there a good coach can make that work oh absolutely and i think it will work i mean you know anybody that says they can't coexist or you know that that them taking scoot henderson kind of renders damien lillard like the next in line to be traded for assets and to get younger uh, you know, I could see that. I see that point of view for sure. But at the same time, you look at look what the Warriors just did. They just traded Jordan Poole, 
to the Wizards, which I think and which worked out great for the Wizards because they were not going to get anything for Chris Paul at that point. They were going to just have to release him or waive him, or we thought so at least. They could have kept him, but that had been dumb. Um, so they instead of waving Chris Paul, they get to trade him for a great player in Jordan Poole. The Golden State Warriors traded one of their best younger assets um, for uh, a past prime Chris Paul. Now, though, they changed the game here, and I think Steve Kerr is a great enough coach that it will make this work, obviously. They take Chris Paul, and that essentially frees up Steph Curry to play off ball, which Steph Curry is a good enough player to play off ball. So and at that point, he becomes insanely dangerous off ball. It's kind of what I think kind of what Atlanta Hawks had in mind when they traded for DeJounte Murray. They were going to let Trey Young play off ball and and become just a spot up, you know, target shooter at that point and become insanely more dangerous. Uh, didn't really work out for them. I think it's going to work out for Golden State. I think Chris Paul is obviously better all around point guard over DeJounte Murray and obviously Trey Young is a poor man, Steph Curry. So I think that could work out the same way maybe in Portland for Scoot Henderson and, uh, you know, Dame time. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that can that can work out one way or the other. Um, since we last talked, Porzingis headed to the Celtics. That trade went down. The, the Celtics, I mean, Tom, they're, they're so close, right? You know, they've been in the conference finals the last few years, went to the NBA finals a season ago. I don't know if Porzingis is enough. He has been quietly good. Maybe not all-star caliber, but he's been quietly good doing his own thing there in Washington and all that. Um, you know, you, you still obviously have Brown and Tatum and uh, and all that. Um Celtics are, are going to be interesting. I'm curious how that works uh, there in, in, in Boston. I, I feel like, you know, they they needed more offense. I don't know if Porzingis is quite enough, though. Yeah, Jones, I don't know if, if old Kristaps is enough either. But, you know, and I don't know if trading Marcus Smart was the best thing to do. But, uh, you know, I think at that point they're at a crossroads of being stuck in second or third place in the East. I mean, they couldn't get it done, you know, in the past couple of years. So at that point, something has to give. Either you have to start going forwards or you have to start going backwards because they can't stay in the same place and then, you know, find themselves with their, uh, you know, proverbial uh, dick in hand just sitting there waiting to get back to the finals just to lose again. So I think they had to figure something else out and – I, you know, time will tell if that's going to be the right trade for them. You know, Christophs Porzingis, you know, overall on paper, pretty solid player. Hasn't really done much recently. Granted, you know, his time with the Knicks, he was what considered kind of a prodigy or the next thing to blow up. Goes to the right. Maverick, doesn't really do a whole lot. Feels like he was pretty much injured for a majority of that time. Gets to the Wizards, which is like uh, hell on earth. Uh, The Washington Wizards in the NBA are comparable to the Cleveland Browns. It's where players go to die. Um, 
at least for now. And so didn't obviously really get much attention. Now he gets a little bit of new life and playing with some better players. Um, be interested to see what kind of pick and roll game they can can come up with um, there in Boston for him. Um, but you do at the same time for Boston lose your what Boston fans call the heart and soul of your team um, and a defensive, you know, defensive player of the year. Granted, that was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of good candidates, but nonetheless, he still won the award. He gets shipped off to Memphis, which, to be honest, and I obviously love Marcus Smart because of OSU, but I couldn't think of a better place uh, for Marcus Smart to go. You want to talk about, I mean, he's, he, Marcus Smart, what'd you call him when we talked about the trade? You call him Tony Allen 2.0. Yes. And uh, that's a perfect comparison. I mean, he's he's every bit, he embodies the grit and grind mindset that, that Memphis uh, had starting out when they got John is now sometimes lost, you know, sometimes has lost that kind of mindset for more flashy plays. So I think maybe Memphis gets back to that with Marcus Smart. But as far as Boston goes, uh, you know, time will tell if this works out for them. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. One more thing, uh, as far as the Draymond situation goes, um, whether he's back in Golden State or, or somewhere I don't think Draymond's got much left. I, I think that his prime is over and that he's pretty much a, a, a six-man or a role player at this point. I, I don't think much of Draymond Green at this point in his career. Um, I know that he's a big name and he's got the rings and his future Hall of Famer and all that, Tom, but uh, I, I think that if you're Golden State, if you don't want to pay – Draymond Green and want to move on. I don't think anybody's going to blame you here. Uh, uh, there, there'll be a sucker out there that that overpays for a washed-up Draymond Green here. Uh, I I think it'd be smart business for Golden State to move on here. Yeah, which is strange because they, I I, I don't know how much of them trading Jordan Poole was because they thought they would get Draymond back and. Obviously, we know Draymond and Jordan Poole things. He punches Draymond Green. Or Draymond Green punches Jordan Poole almost a year ago. Um, in a couple months, it'll be a year. Uh, punches him. That whole debacle. It's kind of split the team apart from, you know, different rumors and ins and outs of the league. Kind of split the team apart. Didn't feel the same. So, okay. They take the side of Draymond Green. This is all speculation on my end, obviously, but they take the side of Draymond Green, trade Jordan Poole, bring in Chris Paul, who's, you know, overall great Hall of Fame point guard, and, you know, maybe has Steph playoff ball now. You get Draymond Green and Chris Paul, two pretty good defensive players in their own right, some of the best of all time um, at their position. But at the same time, then you're like, okay, well, what's going to happen with Draymond? Do you really want to spend that money for a washed-up guy? I don't. I mean, you're right. He's not near as good as he was and, you know, has a lot of drama about him. I mean, talks a lot of shit, punches his own teammate, very polar, very polarizing player, maybe the most one of the most polarizing players of all time. Great basketball IQ, though. Um maybe one of the better in the league. So maybe one of these younger teams could get him as a vet. 
if they didn't, you know, if they could see past maybe a, a cancerous locker room presence, which I think he does have. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, if you can get past that, sure. If you're, you know, a younger team with a lot of cash to spend, um, maybe you, you do that to fill the books up. But I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I think if, if Golden State doesn't get Draymond or he decides to go to the Portland Trailblazers or wherever he decides to go, I think that Golden State, you know, let's bygones be bygones. You know, let's reminisce over our good times had on these championships. And uh, business is business, and I think you let him walk. Don't I wouldn't pay him. A, I wouldn't pay him what he wants. There's no way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit of NFL with Coach Bo out this week. That means that Tom and I get to talk uh, a little bit of, of National Football League rumors together and. This would be basically a condensed version of the football fix that we do with Bo each week. So, Tom, uh, not a whole lot going on, but just want to run through a couple things, just some quick hits one by one here. Let's start with uh, Kirk Cousins. Uh, New report this week from NBC Sports uh, that Cousins, who will be a free agent next year, and the expectation is the Vikings probably won't bring him back. Uh, and just let him be an unrestricted free agent, play out this season, and go get a young quarterback next year. Um, that the 49ers and the Rams could have a bidding war on their hands for Kirk Cousins. Cousins played under both McVay and Shanahan in Washington, so you have that going for him. Um, you know, we've said for a long time that the – Favorite quarterback, Kyle Shanahan, is his next quarterback. He had Brock Purdy fall in his lap, and we're already hearing rumblings about Kirk Cousins. Just ridiculous. And then Matt Stafford, like, let's see how he looks before we talk about Kirk Cousins next year. Not to mention, on top of that, Tom, Kirk Cousins, like, you know, he's had a fine career. Pretty good story for being a former fourth-round pick and everything. But he's been way overpaid his entire career. He's done nothing Nothing in the postseason. Uh, I I am not mentally ready to even like consider a bidding war of sorts between the Niners and the Rams for Kirk Cousins of all people here. Yeah, and you you know you mentioned my team in there. There's no way that I want my team in a bidding war for someone who is not worth. A, I say not worth a damn. He is. He is. You know, in terms of being, a, you know, you said a fourth rounder and, and just in general, Kirk Cousins has. Uh, he's had a good career. We'll give him that. He's outplayed his expectation. You know what's funny? We move on from uh, we move on from the NBA and Draymond Green just to go to one from one Michigan State guy to the next. <laughs> um, both are past their prime and overpaid. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and Draymond was a late second round pick himself. He way surpassed expectations. Some about the green, man. Some about the, the we we don't you know we're not too impressed with Sparty here on this show. No, uh, definitely not. But Kirk Cousins, Rams, 49ers, I, I I see why they would be mentioned uh, with the connection. I hope the 49ers overpay for sure. I mean, I hope that's the Rams' idea is to get in a bidding war and run the price up for the 49ers to overpay on another quarterback that'll get hurt. But, you know, and again, it is just a rumor. It's still very early on. But, Tom, what does that say about the Niners that 
okay, you got Brock Purdy coming off a fantastic rookie season that nobody saw coming. You got Trey Lance, who it sounds like they've already given up on, who's barely even seen the field to begin with. And Sam Darnold, who I don't think has been given a fair shake, but the Niners apparently really like him. And now they're already talking about Kirk Cousins here. I mean, is is Kyle Shanahan just going to bounce around different quarterbacks every year? Is is this going to be his thing like forever? Which, you know, see, I don't, I don't get at that point because I know, so the NFL just um, here recently, I think changed the rule. And I think this will be affectionately called the 49ers rule um, where you can keep three active QBs on the roster. Right. One's an emergency. They can't be in the game unless two quarterbacks are gone. So at that point, if you got Purdy, you got Lance, you got Sam Darnold, and now you want Kirk Cousins? You, what do you? How's that going to work? I mean, somebody's got to go. Which I would assume um, that Trey Lance would be on the chopping block. Is Trey Lance the new Josh Rosen? Yeah. The the thing that's different though is like we have barely seen Trey. Like we saw a a decent sample size of Josh Rosen look awful. Like we've barely even seen Trey. Like we've seen Trey. Maybe just as much as we've seen Jordan Love. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, so I, you know, I wonder, I wonder whatever they see from him if they just, you know, if they just kind of written him off as like, well, not your time here, buddy. Um, you know, every time, you know, the chance kind of comes along, you get easier injured, or we somehow have like a Mister Irrelevant Brock Purdy come along and start throwing bangers, right? Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with them because, like I mentioned, you can keep three active QBs on the roster. Would be a, I mean, let's take, you know, if, if you can take three of the four, let's say that San Fran gets Kirk Cousins, who are your three of those four? One has to go. Who are you letting go? I think the easy call would be Sam Darnold. We've seen him the most of those. And, like, uh, again, I, I do think Sam got a terrible shake. You know, he ended up with two awful organizations, the Jets and Panthers. But he does have the biggest sample size in mediocrity. Um, and then, you know, Trey Lance probably has the most upside, but I guess there's something that they see that the rest of us haven't seen. They've seen him in practice more than anybody else. I mean, so are they going to start Brock Purdy and bench Kirk Cousins and have him as the backup? As, well, I mean, no, no, no. Like, I, I, Cousins they're talking about for next season, not this upcoming, but the following. Um, And so then what happens? Like, you bench Purdy? Are you expecting that Purdy is going to play bad enough that you don't want him to be your starter next year? Is that already the expectation? I mean, since Shanahan's gotten – I mean, when's the last time they really had, like, a – super stable I don't know quarterback I mean sure you had I mean I said Jimmy Garoppolo but he got injured so much and Jimmy Garoppolo has always been kind of like fighting from second place his whole career right and and Kaepernick wasn't a long-term thing was is Alex Smith their last stable? And Alex Smith his time was up and down until Harbaugh showed up so I mean I guess that was he he was was that he was was Oh man, was Alex Smith before or after Colin Kaepernick? Who's before? Who was before Alex Smith? Uh Jeff Garcia. Really? Yeah. Um, 
how time slips away. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about feeling old. I mean, so I guess they've had some. I mean, Jeff Garcia to Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick. And then after Kaepernick, what do you get? Uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo. Is it Jimmy Garoppolo after Kaepernick? Or? Yeah, Blaine Gabbert for a hot oh. minute. And then it was the Jimmy G. Right. And But still, they haven't had a – I mean – Golly, yeah, I mean the they've they've had a carousel there for quite some time. So I don't know how long do you get how long do you stay on that wild ride? Yeah, before you settle down and pick. I mean that all indicators point to Brock Purdy, but obviously the rumors don't seem to think so. Right. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, couple other things to uh to hit on here. Uh of uh, what else is going on. Dalvin Cook weighing options before uh, training camp. And uh, reports are that the Dolphins are the first team to make an offer for Dalvin Cook. Tom, uh, I know the Vikings moved on from him, but it was a financial decision. They didn't want to pay $11 million for a running back. Um, you know, it was it was a cost-saving measure. But Dalvin Cook, uh, he's not like Ezekiel Elliott here. He's still in the middle of his prime. He's coming off his fourth straight 1,000-yard season. Dolphins, they desperately need a running back. There's a couple teams out there that need a running back. Um, I, I think Dalvin, I don't like to give second contracts to running backs, but I'd be more than happy. If I'm a team that I'm a running back away, I'd be just more than happy to pay Dalvin a one, maybe even two-year deal potentially. In Miami, uh, I, I think, is the best fit for that. I mean, yeah, I do. I think so too, and I think that's probably where he'll end up. But you want to talk about a quarterback, you know, carousel and Sam Fran. You want to talk about a running back carousel in Miami. I mean, how many running backs does Miami have? They had Raheem Mostart. Um, they what? They didn't they, they get Jai for a minute? Um, Jeff Wilson. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, they got a bunch of those. <laughs> Maybe the Forty ers whole backfield after that. You got Raheem, you got Jeff Wilson. <laughs> you know, they might as well trade Trey Lance over the Dolphins, too. I feel like um, I feel like Ricky Williams is still the Dolphins running back. I mean, yeah, he's the I mean, name another one since then that's that's been worth a damn for the Dolphins. I mean, I'm trying to think. Um I mean, yeah, that seems like the place for him. I mean, the Dolphins, you, you know, we mentioned all these other running backs. They what? They had Raheem. Uh, they had Jeff Wilson. They had another guy. Can't think of his name. It wasn't a bad running back. I forget. Maybe came from the Ravens. Um, and now you want Dalvin Cook. Uh, I mean, they you play running back by committee there, and and kind of insurance policy because they get hurt so often. Um, so I do think that'll still be the best place for Dalvin Cook. And that you know, why wouldn't you want to go from you know, cold Minnesota to South Beach. I mean, that would be a heck of a change and a good scenery change if you're a guy coming into a second contract and, you know, still got a little bit of juice in the tank. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, we mentioned running backs and contracts. I'm very interested. Where is Ezekiel Elliott going to go? He might end up right back in Dallas. And what, play third fiddle to, um, 
I think Tony he was taller than your your case to Tony. He's going to be a number two back wherever he goes. I mean, he had less than four yards to carry last year. He's got no speed left. He's just a short yardage back at this point in time. Um, That's true. I would, I would expect Zeke to get somewhere between four and five million a year. You think he ends up back in Dallas behind Tony Pollard, and then in Dallas probably sees what they got. You do have Deuce Vaughn there, though. Right, right. Which is um, I don't probably going to be used more as a kind of like Tony Pollard was at first. Yeah, I mean New England's Pass. a possibility. New England needs the second running back. Denver is a possibility. Um, yeah, the running back market is uh, is. Uh, very quiet. Like you got a lot of a lot of veterans looking for options, but not a whole lot of spots because you still have Josh Jacobs in negotiations with the Raiders, Saquon with the Giants right now. Um the the market is not kind to the running backs at this point. I mean, yeah, it's definitely I mean it's changing kind of like the NBA changed for for big man. I mean I seen someone mention like no one drafted uh that Gonzaga center the uh, Tim Drew Timmy, uh and you know maybe in another different decade that he would have went in the first or second round of this draft but yeah you know you look at the running backs now kind of the same issue here that you know the uh you know the time of the you know the you know running backs going high. Is is few and far between now. You, I mentioned that, and Bijan Robinson went what seventh to the Falcons, but right. he's kind and, of and Jer Gibbs went eleventh. Seems, I mean, Bijan Robinson going so high seems generational, and the Falcons, you know, that was the best pick for them at the well, time. But. I think you're going to see teams they value running backs as rookies, and they're going to work them like a workhorse, but. After that rookie deals up, like no thanks, we're done. You know, I mean, right, we'll, right. we'll work you to death, literally. You know, and then move on from there. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, interesting development. So the Patriots uh, extended Devontae Parker, who's not a bad receiver, by the way. Um, a couple of years ago, when he was in Miami, had over a thousand yards. Uh, I think Devontae Parker's sneaky good. Um, they extend Devontae Parker, and then there was all of a sudden people asking, well, does that mean D-Hop's not going to New England? Actually, it means quite the opposite. Now that they got this extension done on Parker, that frees up some more money, some flexibility. We know Bill O'Brien and Bill Belichick want to upgrade that receiving core. He had a good visit there in New England a couple weeks ago. Um, I still think all signs point to D-Hop uh, going to New England. And... You know, Belichick, the longer this goes, the more the price tag goes down on on D-Hop here, too. Um, you know, he's – we've seen this from Belichick before. He goes to Ross or TJ Maxx to, to try to find star talent. You know, he is a Costco card shopper. And <laughs> here he is again, and this time, you know, his next clearance purchase he's looking for is, uh, is a future – all you know, Hall of Fame receiver and uh, DeAndre Hopkins here. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I don't, I can't blame him. You know, no one else has seemed to be taking a page on on D Hop, and you know, really, it's it's pretty strange. And I kind of feel bad for him ever since he left. Uh, Houston has not been the same player, and 
you know, some of that was being in that Cardinals offense. And there's a sick irony here of him rejoining Bill O'Brien here. Yeah, yeah, that is that is pretty funny. Maybe he goes back to the glory days of when he was in, you know, when he was in Houston. But uh, I I feel bad for him because I don't ever feel like he's been on a very elite team. Um, he's never been given a proper shot at a ring. And I don't know if he would even get that in New England, but, um, you know, can't think of a better place for him um, than, you know, maybe in New England. I mean, where is he going to get a proper shot at? Um, still being a top receiver, um, you know, you, you mentioned Parker, who I think is also sneaky good, but immediately he goes into New England and is one of the main targets. You give a little bit more help to uh, Mac Jones, who desperately needs that help as well. So I foresee him going there. I think it's the proper place for him. It seems like the right fit. Yeah, and you got Juju there. Um, Hunter Henry is there at tight end. Uh, Mike Jasicki you brought in from the Miami Dolphins. All of a sudden, Patriots that have a pretty good receiving core um, there. You bring in D-Hop to the bunch, and uh, it's an arms race in the uh, AFC East there, that division. you got to keep up with the Bills and the Jets and the Dolphins. And Patriots, uh, you bring in DeAndre Hopkins, you'd be certainly doing that. One more NFL note, then we'll move on to get to our Big 12 breakdown this week, Tom. Um I want to bring this up. Travis Kelsey talked about how he is underpaid, but he's okay with that because he cares more about winning. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He's been the second most valuable player of this uh, Chiefs era, you know, of their two Super Bowls, only to Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, he's a just a perfect tight end. He's a great blocker. He's still got plenty of good football left ahead of him, too. He hasn't shown any sign of slowing down. I mean, he may have just had the best season of his career, too. Um, I know the Players Association isn't going to like him saying that, the Players Union and all, but, I mean, more power to him. I, uh, you know, he he values winning. He's playing alongside the best quarterback in the league. They got a good thing going, and uh, I don't see anybody slowing those two down anytime soon here. I, I think that uh, Travis, I, I appreciate the honesty of what he had to say there and, and that, you know, he's, he's not, he's not gold digging. It was kind of refreshing to hear somebody just straight up say it. I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. I mean, he's, you know, as good as he is, I would say he's, you know, underpaid, but, uh, you know, how much money it comes down to this too. How much money do you really need? Right. I, I get that you want to make as much money as possible because it all could end real quick. Could all end in one play, and you want to set up your family and and your your family's family. You want to set up, you know, generational wealth um, down the line. You know, if he has a son or daughter or just whatever that's not good at sports or doesn't have that same opportunity, well, you want to set up that generational wealth. That's great too. But at the same time, you're right. It is refreshing to hear he's kind of taking the, the Tom Brady role in like, hey, I'm still making quite a bit of money, and all things considered. How about you take some of this money that you might pay me and go pay someone else to join our team so we can win more? Right. I and, mean, that is I mean, Patrick Mahomes is underpaid too. At the time, it was a record-breaking contract. Um, but now we've seen all these other guys get paid. And for the, the Chiefs to give him a 10-year deal, and his salary is going to go up a little bit, but – I mean, it's already great value. They locked him up long-term, 
But, I mean, they're not paying him top dollar compared to other quarterbacks. And Kelsey, we mentioned underpaid and everything. Credit to Brett Veach, Clark Hunt, and company for, you know, putting together an organized operation where they're winning and keeping everybody happy at the same time. Uh, and Travis Kelsey, you, I, I think here's one thing I'll bring up. Then we'll move on here real quick, Tom. You mentioned about, you know, you could, there's only so much money, right? And I think part of it too, you have to look at his brother is probably going to be in the hall of fame someday. And his brother's made a lot of money. That family just as a whole is set from the both of them. And his brother, you know, got to the league first and was a, you know, all pro before he ever was. I think his brother may have kind of helped pave the way for that, where, you know, laid down the foundation, the blueprint for for Travis of how to how to approach things in business. They got a great podcast they do together. I, I'm sure both of them are going to have bright futures in the media down the line here. Uh, I don't think that gets said enough about the Kelsey brothers. Just, uh, you know, they might be actually the best brother duo we've ever seen in this league and uh, are very smart off the field, obviously. Oh, yeah, and, you know, seems like just great people all around, you know. You have the mom going to both playoff games and that storyline in the Super Bowl I thought was, uh, you know, I would – I don't know you call it heartwarming by any means, but it was it was fun to see that. And, you know, their podcast is great. I mean, Travis Kelsey is just, uh, you know, never – I don't think he's really seen any off-the-field trouble at all. Um, has a great just personality. One of the most probably, to be honest with you, one of my – that's one of my favorite non-Rams as a player. He's He's got a just a – very charismatic personality says a lot, you know, talks his shit too. Um, and, you know, definitely, I think took a shot at Jamar chase the other day or last week on the Kelsey brothers podcast, which got some flack because Jamar chase has lit up the chiefs, but uh, at the same time, you know, all in good fun. And he just seems like, a, you know, he seems like one of those people that I think would play football, even if it, even if it wasn't, uh, you know, a big money maker, I think he he looks like the guy that, you know, you could pay him seventy five thousand a year. I think he'd still play football over taking a corporate job. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, time for our Big Twelve breakdown this week. Uh, a couple things that we'll get to. Uh, first and foremost, as of this upcoming Saturday, BYU, UCF. Houston and Cincinnati will all officially be full-time members of the Big 12 Conference. Welcome. Congratulations. I was thinking about this, Tom. Now that they're officially in and the season begins and they're one of us now. One of us. One of us. Uh Now we actually talk football with these schools, right? Uh, Besides the whole business side and markets and all that and TV deals, I've had enough of that conversation. Now the stuff on the football field. I was thinking about it with these four. Um, BYU and UCF, I think, have the best chance to be something this year. I don't expect any of them to compete for the conference title, but I think BYU and UCF each could be seven or eight win football teams. Uh, BYU, I like Slovis, the former USC quarterback and pit quarterback coming in. That should be a nice help to that offense. They've had a good track record of quarterbacks there at BYU as of late. Watch out for the Cougars there. Um, UCF, Gus Malzahn, 
He did an incredible job with what they've done on the recruiting trail and the transfer portal. Um, UCF's got a, a great foundation there. Cincinnati, I'm very skeptical. Emory Jones was not that great of a quarterback at Florida. Scott Satterfield, I didn't think was a very good hire from Louisville. I think Cincinnati is not going to be very good. Um, and then the other one, Houston, Dana Holgerson. He's been in this league before, very familiar with Big 12 territory and recruiting in the conference and everything. But Dana has underperformed in the American Athletic Conference. Now you come to the Big 12, I don't think Houston's going to be very good. I think Houston probably finishes towards the bottom of the league, maybe even dead last year. Um, that's my outlook as far as these four schools go, at least in year one. What's kind of your expectation here? I, I wouldn't even take it another step further, Tom, that I, I don't think Dana Holgerson is going to survive after his first year in the Big 12. That's my bold prediction for these first four uh, members uh, joining the league. here. What's your kind of overall outlook on – these four members as they officially join the league. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're definitely right about Houston. Uh, I don't, I don't see them, you know, I, I you know, long-term, I mean, you obviously got to give them a shot and, you they know, got a ton of money and in, in resources. They're, they're going to find a way to be competitive down the line, but this isn't, this isn't their time right now. No, no. I mean, they'll, they'll definitely have to get their feet wet. I'm not sold on UCF either i mean really i mean as i continue down this list i'm not really sold on cincinnati kind of like you aren't just mainly you know if if they would have kept luke fickle i think different ball game for cincinnati um i mean we're talking two totally different teams here uh between satterfield and and a fickle led team i think we'd be taught we'd be singing a little bit different tune on cincinnati if luke fickle was to have stayed um i think you're absolutely right about byu you mentioned Slovis I think uh you know great quarterback to kind of lead them into their big 12 start and and BYU um as much as I hate BYU I don't hate them I just love to clown on them um as much as possible but I think Slovis is the right quarterback to kind of lead them into this transition into a bigger league um and and gives them a good you know gives them a good chance at a good first impression I guess you could say um, so I think, and I don't think, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think it, it's always kind of been BYU has the best shot to be the best of the new four starting out. I mean, they arguably play harder competition. I would say I, I would probably, yeah, I'd go to say that they overall probably play a little bit tougher competition historically. So BYU is, you know. Expected to be, you know, I mean, they're not going to come out and win the league first year, but I think they'll have a a good showing, a better showing than the rest of those other three. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, We mentioned the NBA draft earlier. Here's where the Big 12 uh, current and new member players were selected. First guy off the board did not play in the last iteration of the Big 12. uh, Jarris Walker, the forward from Houston, got picked up by the Washington Wizards. And uh, he, along with Marcus Sasser, who was one of the best players in college basketball last year, he got picked in the first round by the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I was happy for Sasser, a, a guy that was a senior, to still be a first-round pick that that wasn't overlooked and go to a good organization like Memphis and everything. Um, 
you talk about walking into this league and making a statement, Tom. We know Kelvin Sampson's a good coach. We know Houston's got good history as of late under Kelvin Sampson. But not one, but two first-round draft picks uh, right before they enter the league. Uh, message has been heard loud and clear. That's a big deal for Houston. Uh, you want to talk about momentum entering the league. I think Houston basketball is going to be spectacular right from the jump. Oh, yeah. I mean, then, you know, if – if uh... You know, if they have to add value or their football team and Dana Holgerson might not add that much, I think their basketball definitely makes up for it. I mean, we're talking about a team that is, uh, you know, you know, in the past couple of years been playing in the top four seeds by the time we get to March and, and having a pretty good showing overall. So, uh, I mean, you know, we've said it all. We say it all the time. I mean, this league just got deeper. Big 12 is the best battle as a basketball league. I mean, uh, and Houston just right out of the gate is already has that pedigree uh, and, and comes in and could be one of the top. You know, I between KU and, and Baylor and obviously K-State's getting a little bit better here, um, I'd be hard-pressed not to see that, that Houston could come in day one and compete for a Big 12 title. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, then at the number nine pick, uh, the Jazz went with uh, Taylor Hendricks from UCF uh, forward uh, at number nine overall. Good sign for UCF basketball because they have not really been that relevant, to be honest. Uh, you know, you had Taco Fall there, take him to the second round a couple of years ago. But a top 10 pick, anything helps. That's that's good for that program and uh, good for Taylor Hendricks. And he's not the only Big 12 player going to the Utah Jazz. Keontae George went to the Jazz at 16, uh, the guard from Baylor. Tom, I, I really like Keontae George's game. You look at the Utah Jazz and this era past Donovan Mitchell here. Um, the Jazz are quietly building, I think, a nice core there. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think the Jazz have... Uh, you know, they're they're starting off slow, maybe not too many big splashes. You know, you trade Gilbert and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, you kind of start that rebuild. But, yeah, the Jazz are quietly doing that. And, you know, I thought Keontae George is a kind of a – I thought maybe even a little bit uh, underrated. And I was really hoping the Spurs would trade up back in the first round and grab him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Big 12 is – is uh I think it's just beginning in terms of what I mean we already think Big Twelve basketball is great and and the players coming out of it are uh, you know are already starting to be aching to kind of what Alabama and Georgia put out every year into the NFL draft but uh, I, I think it's I think it's only just begun I mean I think it I think at this point it, to be pumping out NBA draft picks left and right right um, and then. Of the uh, Kansas Jayhawk players. My guy, Grady Dick. I got to get a jersey. I can't wait to get uh, a jersey. I think he might wear number one, which will be perfect for a guy named uh, Dick. Uh, Dick is coming to Toronto. Uh, <laughs> Grady Dick, I, I know Toronto's got a lot of issues, um, but the, the, the silver lining for Grady Dick is he'll have a chance to compete for playing time right away. And what he was wearing at the draft, he had a lot of drip going. Uh, I don't think I could have pulled that off myself. But 
for Grady. Toronto's a, a bit of a mess, but at least he'll get to play right away. And then Jalen Wilson, I thought it was ridiculous that he slipped as late as he did in the second round, but goes to the Brooklyn Nets. And Brooklyn, you know, even after they moved on from, from Kyrie and KD, they weren't a bad team. Uh, Jalen Wilson, I think similar to Grady Dick, he should compete for playing time right away as well. Uh, those situations, they're not the best of teams, Tom, but they might be good fits for those guys to get playing time right away. Oh, yeah, and I think Grady Dick will. I mean, and and just seeing, uh, you know, he's kind of the social media star of the draft, it seems. I mean, I, he's his social media and TikTok's getting a lot of play, and, you know, he's already embracing Toronto as saying that he wants Drake to wear his jersey, and uh, I think he's happy to go there, and I, I think he'll fit right into Toronto. And, I, you know, Toronto treats – they're, they're homegrown players well, and I, I think Grady Dick has the chance to uh, kind of be, and if not, you know, better than, uh, 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 like, kind of like, you know, Denver's Braun, Christian Braun. I mean, Grady Dick has that chance to be that player for Toronto. Yeah. Last thing before we bring in Angelica Tridone here on the uh, Jones Sport this week. Uh, we're going to set the scene for before Angelica gets here uh, and talk about the West Virginia situation. Uh, last week, we told you that Bob Huckins was out and uh, that they were looking to go another direction. And Ren Baker, who is a guy that he's got Oklahoma ties, Tom. He's from there, uh, used to be the athletic director at Rogers State at College there in Claremore. Um, AD at, at West Virginia now that he had a big decision on his hands. How do you replace a Hall of Famer like Bob Huggins? And under these circumstances, it's a tough time to find a head coach. And ultimately, they've named uh, Josh Ellert as their interim head coach. Uh, Ellert was on staff, young guy, played at K-State under Bob Huggins. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this, Tom, I, I don't – hate this decision by West Virginia to go to this route because you had a good recruiting class. You had a good transfer portal class coming in. This is your best shot to salvage all of that. Give Eller a shot and see if, if he's worth potentially being the full-time head coach. And if it doesn't work out, then next off season, you have a full coaching search you could do um, and get the best candidate available who you couldn't get right now. Um, and we've seen with what Texas had with Rodney Terry last year, uh, you know, bad circumstance for for UT with Chris Beard getting fired in the middle of the season. And they turned that into an elite eight season. So it can be done before these interim things. It's not an easy thing to do, but if it can be done, I, I think that Ren Baker, it wasn't an easy call, but it was the right call for the circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I think the best way to go about it is is to you know name the interim and then and then see how it plays out for there. I mean, uh, I I think you'd be, I, I think it'd be you can't go too fast in this situation. I mean, uh, you can't make a bad situation worse. And I think the only way to do that would to be getting a little uh, head over heels for someone that might not be the right fit. I, I think you somewhat play the waiting game or you, you kind of you got to test the waters a little bit, but you can't just jump in the deep end immediately after, you know, something like this Bob Huggins deal dropped. You can't, I think it'd be, 
you get you'd be way too crazy to be doing all that. So the idea was if they were going to hire somebody, Andy Kennedy from UAB was the favorite to land the job. Andy Kennedy used to be the head coach at Ole Miss. Didn't do so great, got fired from Ole Miss. He's rebounded nicely at UAB, but, like, if that's what you would have settled on, Tom, like, okay, you're going to go with the guy that couldn't win at Ole Miss and we think he could win at Morgantown now to replace a Hall of Famer. I, I think yeah. that the wise move to give the young guy a chance, and if it doesn't work out, then next year go get the best coach you can, not having to settle for a guy like Andy Kennedy. No offense to Andy Kennedy, but, uh, I mean, West Virginia, I think, deserves better than Andy Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, um, you know, you, you got you to gotta see how it plays out. You don't want to commit to somebody without having all the options on the table. It's, you know, uh, you know, what's, you know, you already get this shake up. The season will be here before you know it. Um, you got all these guys coming in. Let, let a guy who was under Huggins run the show and be the interim. See how it plays out. You mentioned Texas. See how it plays out. What's the worst that could happen there? You know, the worst thing that could happen is you commit a bunch of money to a guy that you didn't really want, and then now you're locked in on the money for however long. Right. Uh, and then, you know, worst case scenario, you're you're back to you're, – you're stuck in limbo or you're back to shelling out money for that coach and then back on playing the coaching carousel the next following year. So I think the best possible thing is what they're doing is, you know, stick around, wait it out, and see who's available, you know, you know, maybe in April, May of next year. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, more on this situation with uh, Angelica Tridell when she joins us next. Also, uh, we'll talk West Virginia football and uh, the Mountaineer perspective on the new members joining the league as well as conference expansion. We'll get to that. Also got draft season coming up later. We'll draft your favorite ha athletes to hate. And we got Tom Fullery coming up at the end of the show as well. Stick around. More to come. Join us now on the Jones Report this week. Pleased to welcome in from Gold and Blue Nation in West Virginia, covering the West Virginia Mountaineers. It is Angelica Trinone who is uh, joining us right now. Angelica, I know it's been a while since uh, we last talked, but uh, appreciate you joining us and giving us a little bit of time today. Uh, a few things going on uh, in your world. We, we we might have a couple things to talk about today. I think we I think we'll have quite a few. I think we will. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Angelica, tell me, tell me first off, uh, how are things uh, with you and, and Golden Blue Nation? Uh, that's you guys always have done an incredible job covering uh, West Virginia and doing so uh, statewide. Such a unique thing that you guys do covering the Mountaineers compared to what we see around the country. It's a, a very cool offering uh, for, for your state statewide there. Yeah, we um work for the five next star stations in the state. And the nice thing is, is we have the opportunity to really have kind of that inside pulse with WVU athletics being that that's all we cover. So you have the opportunity to know the players, know the coaches, kind of get that deeper connection and tell these deeper stories instead of just, you know, coming up for a game, reading the highlights. So um, it's, it's nice in that aspect because we have a lot of great student athletes and we had just wrapped up um, the best, well, one of the best uh, baseball seasons in, um, you know, program history. They tied the program record with wins. Uh, so we just finished doing stuff with that. But 
What's really cool is we get to keep these relationships with these athletes after they've moved on from WVU. So on our Golden Blue Nation podcast, we just had a chance to talk to Victor Scott, who actually just got promoted um, in the St. Louis Cardinals organization a couple days ago. He was one of West Virginia's center fielders, and he got drafted last year. We talked to one of our former pitchers who's also working his way up the minor leagues. Um, well, we've got some guys who probably are about as old as me playing in the TBT coming up um, next month. So that's really cool, too. So while it's nice to talk with some of these, you know, current athletes and have the pulse for what's going on, it's also really great to be able to continue to tell the stories and keep up with these guys, um, you know, after they're done here at West Virginia. I still have flashbacks to uh, Javon Carter uh, all the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, you know, last year, JC was the um, honorary assistant of the TBT team. Now, we don't know if he's going to be here this year, um, but that was really cool. And the, the thing about Javon, he's actually coming back to West Virginia, I think, at the beginning of July to do his first ever treadmill mentality camp, which is something that he treadmill mentality was just one of those things in the men's basketball program that if Bob Huggins didn't like what you did, the treadmill sat in the corner and that's what you did. So Javon kind of created this organization out of it and he's coming back and it's a youth camp for kids. Mm. Um, so it'll be really cool to, unfortunately that's the week I'm on vacation, right. You oh. know, whenever he comes back, but yeah, so um, it, it's cool to see him anytime he's still around because I mean, just like you, I've got memories of him and his senior night is something I'll just randomly think about it, and I still get so emotional. He's just such a great guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, you think about West Virginia alums, you know, as you probably know, you know, I I spend most of my time covering the CLC Hawks now, and I was so happy for Geno Smith this past season, not only to win the comeback player of the year after, you know, sitting on the bench for however many years now and and playing at a Pro Bowl level and with a positive attitude and the energy he brought and – now hearing all the reports of what he's putting in the work this offseason and the excitement for that Seahawks team. Uh, what a what a great story. One of the best sports stories I felt of the entire year was what, what Gino did. Oh yeah, we were we were keeping pretty close tabs on it. And um, I don't think there for a couple months, there was not a time period where any West Virginia fan was posting on social media and not saying, but I didn't write back. You know, I mean, like that was just everybody just kind of picked that up from Gino. But he um, he is someone who really has just kind of set an example, I think, for not only kids here at West Virginia to, you know, like see what can happen whenever you actually put the work in. But man, for all those guys trying to make it in the NFL as well, because I mean, you know, as well as I do, you hit a certain age and they're like, oh, well, I don't know if they still, you know, have things. And I mean, he waited he waited his time. So it was really cool to see um, to see Gino have that type of success. Yeah, hopefully it continues uh, for sure with, with Gino. Great story and certainly exciting to see what's going on there with that Seahawks organization. Uh, starting with the uh, the Mountaineers, uh, the basketball front, uh, been uh, a few things that have gone on there the last couple of weeks. Bob Huggins obviously uh, stepped away uh, amid the uh, DUI arrest that happened. They have named an interim head coach for the time being, and uh, athletic director Ren Baker will circle back later on for a uh, full formal uh, you know, coaching search there. But what's, uh, w- what's gone down here? I mean, this was a, a quick turn of events and uh, try to also try and f- 
find stability for this program to keep these guys around here. I mean, a, a lot going on here in the last few days. Yeah, I mean, the past few days and really the past week since all of this had happened, it just went from so much uncertainty to finally some type of clarity here in the past couple of days. Josh Eiler, he is someone who has a really great story. He has been with Bob Huggins for 17 seasons. He was actually Hugs GA when Hugs was at Kansas State. Okay. He was his GA there, um, I believe 2006, 2007. Then after that season... He came here to West Virginia with hugs, and he is someone who, in his 16 seasons at WVU, has done almost every position possible. We actually we have the Bob Huggins tell we had the Bob Huggins television show, and he started as their video coordinator. He would come for a segment with us every week and break down the film on the projector, all of that. So, like I remember him starting like that, worked his way up. Um, he was the director of player operations. He actually was the main person who built was building West Virginia's schedule, constructing it over these, um, you know, past five, five years or so. He was actually promoted to an assistant coach before the start of last season. Now he's serving as the interim head coach. And I know it's one of those things people look at and say, well, you know, he's he has no head coaching experience. But you have to think this is a guy that for his entire coaching career, he's been learning absorbing and just really taking everything he could from a hall of fame coach. And he is someone who has such a good relationship and a connection with the players on the team. And I think he's someone too, who just, he's been nothing but loyal to West Virginia. I mean, he has had opportunities. I'm sure if he wanted to go elsewhere, but now he's going to be the interim head coach for this upcoming season. Um, and I personally think that it's – I thought that was going to happen almost right away. Yeah. Um, I was kind of shocked to hear when they decided that, you know, we were hearing the mumblings of the other names and the people that they were bringing in, and I totally understand having to do your due, due diligence, right? But to me, just like this time of year, I was kind of, you know, surprised by that, being that it is so late in things, and – um, Ren Baker had even said the same thing on Monday. You know, he's like, we contacted a lot of people. This was a job that it was in very high demand. They did a lot of Zoom calls with candidates over like the course of, you know, not even a full week. And he had said talking to a lot of them, it was, oh, I would really love to do this. But the timing and, you know, they don't want to be in a position where they just up and leave their team in the middle of the summer as well. So I think I think that Josh will be someone who can relate to them. He knows West Virginia basketball. And while for him, obviously it's not, nobody wanted that to happen for him this way, but he is really someone who means a lot to this program. Um, he's he's just such a great guy, and I'm extremely happy for him given the circumstances. Well, and, and I think you, you brought up Ren Baker. Um, I, you know, I, I know Ren uh, dating back to when, you know, he was in, uh, Oklahoma, you know, he and I are from the same state and everything. And, you know, when he was at Rogers state university and the thing that stood out to me, not only does Ren have a great track record everywhere he's been as an AD, but I mean, so far it seems like what he's done, uh, has come into that program, taken up that athletic department with such patience. I mean, there was a lot of calls to move on from Neil Brown at the end of last year. Ultimately he stuck by his head coach. Now with this of going the interim route here, uh, Ren Baker is 
very patient. I, I give him a lot of credit for not uh, doing anything without thinking twice, you know, not, not being too reactionary of sorts. Yeah. And I think the thing with Ren as well is obviously, you know, in the football season, the news of um, Shane Lyons being let go as the athletic director. I mean, he had someone, it was someone who worked at West Virginia for quite a while. So you get a new AD coming in. And of course, you're not really sure what to expect, but I had so many people reach out to me from the various schools. I mean, people who I really don't even know and have a relationship with, but they messaged me to say, hey, Ren Baker is such a great dude. You're going to absolutely love him. What he's done for, you know, all of these other programs. He always, uh, he was joking on Monday at the time that he was the AD and coached basketball early on. Um, in his career, he had said, hey, Josh, you know, if we're looking for those assistants, I could easily step up. So that's a, that, you know, he's got a basketball background as well. But he is someone who um, in such a short amount of time, while they may not be big changes, I feel you can definitely see his imprint on West Virginia athletics. And two, you know, we just got a new women's basketball coach a couple months ago, someone I think Mark Kellogg coming from Stephen F. Austin will be a great fit for the program. Someone who had ties with Ren um, at some of his previous stops as well. So, so far, I mean, I, I really enjoy working with him. And I think, you know, he's, he's been put in some situations uh, to, to truly hit the ground running since he got here um, last fall. So yeah, he, he's had a lot of, a lot of things already crossed off the list. And I think the student athletes and the coaches really respond to him. And he's somebody that I think the fan base, um, responds to as well. Well, and, uh, you mentioned with, with Josh Allard becoming the, uh, you know, interim head coach and sure he doesn't have the head coaching experience, but, uh, Jellica, if I was to look at like a blueprint of some sorts, Look at what Rodney Terry did last year at Texas, taking over an awful situation uh, with Chris Beard and having to you know step aside and, and everything and getting all the way to the Elite Eight, and they had all that talent there, and they were still able to capitalize off of it. Here's a West Virginia team. Expectations sound like were, were pretty high. They were pretty excited about the, the players that were coming in through the portal and the recruiting class and all this. Uh, I, I think that's the blueprint there is not only keep those guys, but uh, you know, keep the positive attitude and all that. What Rodney Terry did, I, I think, is a great example for for Josh there at West Virginia. Yeah, I I absolutely agree, and I know. I mean, obviously, right now West Virginia has a few players in the transfer portal. Trey Mitchell just committed to Kentucky a few days ago, so they lost him for sure. But they had one of the top. They got one of the top guards in the portal in Kirk Creesa from Arizona. And he is someone who also entered the portal. Then when Josh was named the interim head coach, um, I thought his message was pretty telling that he had said he had been in this situation before. He put his faith in, assist in an assistant coach to lead them and they won 60 plus games. And he had said, you know, Josh put his faith in me to help bring me here. I'm putting my faith back in Josh in this program. So that was huge to hear that, somebody who had said okay maybe I'm not sure once he heard it was Josh he was like okay now I know and I mean you know how the fans are and sure. in any with with anything transfer portal related at any level at any school right it's something that I think is still just looked at as such a negative thing um and I mean people have to remember 
if it wasn't for the transfer portal, we wouldn't have got Emma Matthews back last year. We wouldn't have had Eric Stevenson. Trey Mitchell wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have Kirk Russo, right? So it's kind of that double-edged sword type of thing. And, you know, Josh said himself on Monday, he is cannot be mad at these kids. He cannot be mad at them for going out and exploring their other opportunities. Because, you know, this is a situation that they didn't expect to be in either. Um, And all he can do right now is, you know, just – tell them that they still have an opportunity to do something special and just hope that that's enough. Um, So we'll see here. um, You know, we have a couple players visiting big 12 schools who are in the portal too. So we'll kind of see what happens. Um, But yeah, sure. Shaping up to be an interesting off season as well. I know they're getting ready to go to Italy. So hopefully that can help them as well uh, here next month. But I think that if this West Virginia team can stay together as it is now, I mean, I totally agree with Josh that they have an opportunity to do something special. And while special might not be making it to the final four in his first year's interim, there's still an opportunity for this basketball team to kind of change the narrative and ter- turn things around surrounding the program. Uh, is the Italy trip included for you? Are you making that journey? Um, you know what? I really wish that that was the case. They went and played um, in Germany a couple years ago, I think as well. And I was like, hey, I mean, we got any extra s- spots on the plane? And my boss was like, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, what I'm uh-huh. like, nope, you guys are absolutely not going. So unfortunately, that's not in the cards for me. For me. Okay. Okay. But, you know, I, I don't know. Never say never, right? Who knows? Right? Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll end up. Maybe uh, there needs to be an ESPN Plus broadcast or something, you know, and last minute, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yes, and familiarity, and Josh is like, hey, I know her. Let's bring her right. along. I mean, we right. can only hope. Well, we can only hope, exactly. Uh, as far as Bob Huggins goes, you know, I, I look at, at you know, Bob, you know, a, a Hall of Famer. It's an unfortunate ending, not just this DUI stuff, but we know about the radio interview that he had, you know, a couple months back, and that wasn't a good look, and – Initially, was suspended and lost a million dollars over all that. I mean, I, I I don't know about you. I always liked Huggy. You know, I I thought he was a great addition when West Virginia came to the Big Twelve Conference and and what they brought to the table. I, I know it was a bad ending, Angelica, but I, I'm not going to remember uh, Huggy for what happened the last couple of months. Let that overshadow his Hall of Fame career because it was quite the story that he told from his time in West Virginia and really his stops along the way throughout all college basketball over the years. And, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, over the past month, really. And it was something that our baseball coach, Randy Mazie, said when his team lost in the regional that he said, once the emotion wears off, I think people are going to realize that we did something really special this year. And I was I was thinking about that in the terms of this situation, too. Um, you know, right now, it's one of those things that regardless – you know, like you said, it's not the way that anybody would have ever anticipated things going. Um, But all of that aside, I think everybody can agree that what Bob Huggins has done, not just for West Virginia, but for all the money he's raised for cancer research, um, the way that he has just made people feel welcomed, not even just his players. I mean, there are so many stories of guys who, he took the last opportunity on them, took it was their last chance to prove something. I mean, it was the same thing with Javon Carter and Daxter Miles, and they ended up being two of, you know, 
two great players to come here. Same thing with Deuce McBride. He's now with the New York Knicks. He didn't have a lot of offers either. He was someone who Hugs took a chance on him. And I think once some time has passed and even listening to the comments made by Ren Baker and Josh Eilert, I, I think they agree as well that once time does pass, then I think it'll be much more, it'll be easier to honor the legacy here because like you said, that's something that can't be forgotten. He's done a lot of great things for this program, for the state, for just, you know, I know working with him for the Bob Huggins show, it's probably been seven seasons for me. And I know every year this year, um, he would always come in and he would always have something to say about my outfit. He's like, Oh, no sparkle boots today. Where'd you get your, you wear a pink shirt and a pink cup. And one day I was actually like just kind of casual in jeans. He's walking off the court. It's like at the end of a game, he's going to leave. He's like awfully casual today. Just stuff like that, that he was someone who no matter what, I mean, and there's in recent memory, you know, there were some pretty tough seasons to have to get through. And no matter the circumstance, he always made you feel welcomed and he always took the time to, even if it was a quick, hi, how are you? Good to see you. You know, just things like that. So he was somebody who I absolutely will miss working with. And I hope in time um, he will be able to kind of get, I don't want to say send off or I'm not sure what the correct word is to use, but um, I definitely think his legacy is something that, that will be strong enough that in the future it it will still hold up here in the state and with the program. Yeah, I think so. Uh, in in due time and everything, you know, be much better for for everybody else uh, involved for sure. Uh, let's transition shift gears now. Talk football. Uh, Big Twelve football media days coming up in a couple of weeks. West Virginia uh, with uh, Neil Brown there. A lot of a lot of pressure, right? I mean, we've been waiting for this team to kind of take that next step in the era there with, with Neil Brown. And last year, you know, th- there was a lot of hype, uh, but things didn't go nearly as expected. Now going into this year, Angelica, what, what is kind of the the expectation or what is the, the goal that this team needs to accomplish where everybody in Morgantown will be happy of some sorts? Well, when it comes to football, the – the fans, no matter the year, no matter the coach, no matter the player, there there's always a lot of expectations. I think this year it's a little bit different in the fact that it's it's kind of the first time in a while that West Virginia is not going to have that veteran leadership. It's not going to have a guy like Dante Stills, who has been in the program for five years, and not only what he did on the field, but just the way that he kind of got everybody going in the locker room. And, you know, when times were down, he was like, hey, let's remember what we play for, right? There are some, between last year and this year, there's been a lot of age and experience that has left the program for one way or another. And this year, with the ongoing quarterback battle between two guys who, you know, there are so many similarities that happen with all of these sports teams at West Virginia at the same time, it seems. Because, you know, much like everybody's questioning what's Josh Eilert going to be able to do basketball, well, now a lot of people are like, okay, West Virginia promoted its running backs coach, Chad Scott, to be its offensive coordinator. 
What's that going to look like for the first time in the Neil Brown era? It's not going to be a transfer quarterback with experience. It's going to be two guys who have grown up in this program and really didn't have the opportunity more so Garrett Green to actually show their potential until things kind of went downhill last year. Same thing for Nico Markiel. I mean, he was a true freshman last year. You had JT Daniels that came in and West Virginia lost two big time receivers and Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James, who went on to that. They're now with NFL teams. They were people who've been here for five years as well. So I think that there's, you know, a little, a little caution around the team just because, you know, we're really not quite so sure what to expect. Um, But I will say that you've got, while it might not be a lot of guys who people are familiar with, West Virginia also went out, got some names from the transfer portal as well. And I think, I think that this football team, not even like, you know, coaching situations aside, I think that they understand too that, I mean, they, they feel the same way. They just want to win. And I think that that this is a great group of guys this year. And I mean, it's it's easy to say that when you see them in the spring, when you see them at fall camp, right? Because you, you don't ever really know what their potential is going to be. But there's just something with these West Virginia teams when you're like, oh, man, they're just, oh, this is going to be a rough year. Somehow, some way, they find – they just do something kind of crazy. And, look, I think we all know opening up at Penn State – is something that, I mean, to me, thinking about it, I kind of have a pit in my stomach, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, or, you know, because you get to know these guys and they're, you know, right. I'm like, oh my gosh, are they ready? Like, you just hope for their sake because you understand how much pressure is being put on them from the outside. So while I, you know, while that's scary to think about, it's a great opportunity. And then also to play pit in the same season. Um, and then, you know, finally get some other East Coast teams in here in the Big 12. And, you know, we won't have to be traveling out to BYU for football this year. This year. We, right. we got lucky with that. But um, so I think, too, you know, Rodney Gallagher is a guy who um, is from Uniontown, which is in Pennsylvania, but pretty close to West Virginia. And no matter what seems to be happening, they get these big recruits. He's a guy who will likely get playing time as a receiver, as a true freshman. He grew up going to West Virginia games. He is someone who is, I would say, kind of their staple piece of the incoming uh, signing class. So they're, and you know, to even keep Nico Markiel here, one of their biggest recruits that they've gotten in quite a while. So I think that there there is an opportunity to do something special this yeah. year um, with this football team, and you will not find someone who is a bigger Chad Scott supporter than me. He, I mean, I call him, I'm like, oh, that's my best friend. Like, uh, Chad is such a great guy, and what I think people don't, what I hope that they do realize about him and why, even though he's never been an offensive coordinator, that I think he deserves this opportunity, is you talk to any player at any position and no matter what, they're like, oh, Chad Scott did this for me. Chad Scott, he is someone who is so in touch with the players and not even more so of like, what can you do for me on the football field, right? He is someone who they come to him for life advice, life talks. He is someone who shows these young men in this program that they matter to him 
more than what they do on the field, but it also matters to him that they see success in all other aspects of life, right? So he is someone who, if it's a kickoff return, if it's a punt return, he's sprinting down the sideline. If his running backs have a carry, he's, he's going, he's having his own touchdown. A receiver makes a big play. Same thing. Defensive line, you have a big sack. If he's not over in the huddle, then he comes off, you know, and he's flexing at him and all of that. So I think that he is someone who has who has their attention, has their respect, and he is someone who they are going to give everything for because as a coach, he gives everything to them. So I really, um, I really can't wait to see what he does in that role. And I'm pretty sure too that he has such a big presence on the field. It's the quarterback's coach that's going to go up in the box and he's going to stay. Well, he they're going to go up um up top and he's going to stay down on the field even though he is the offensive coordinator because his presence matters that much. So, I don't know. I I I think that this season may be a little bit different, but that's kind of what needs to happen, right? You need to try a little something different to kind of get past that hump that they've been on the past couple of years and um we'll we'll see what happens it's quick it's getting here faster than i thought every time we hit big 12 media days it's almost like oh my gosh you know we're gonna wake up and now you know we're at fall camp so we'll see how things happen but um i i think that there's an opportunity for this team to kind of show that it deserves a little more credit than it's getting and who knows i don't know maybe in a couple months i'll be eating my words on that i'm not sure but I know a lot of guys who are leaders in this program, and I I think that they're about the right things, and I think that that they have an opportunity to kind of change the way that things go. You mentioned the uh, schedule, not only the two top non-conference games against regional rivals, which I imagine is, is a great thing for, for West Virginia and their fan base, but the new members of the league, three of them being East Coast teams, uh, you know, in UCF, and, and I, I say East Coast, Houston, not East Coast, but uh, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, and then BYU out West. Uh, you guys are very familiar with Cincinnati. We're both members in the Big East uh, at one point in time. Uh, what do you make of these these new members, and, and uh, what's the excitement level about, about getting to play all four of them? Uh, one of the few schools, maybe the only one, that gets to play all four this season. Yeah, I know. I think a lot of West Virginia fans, when they saw Cincinnati coming in, were excited not only of all, you know, it's like a little bit of the past coming back, kind of a chance to, you know, reignite that, but also one of those where, oh my gosh, finally driving distance. You know what I mean? Like finally two, and maybe we get a game, you know, we're not in in a different time zone kickoff and you're having to stay up late. Um, Same thing about Florida. I know that really on the East coast, but I, there's a lot of West Virginia fans, West Virginia alumni in Florida. Um, so I think that it'll be, I think that, that they will be good additions. I, I think again, being in the East coast, that's something that, that is obviously appealing to, um, West Virginia as well to finally not always be the odd man out in that. But then of course, on the football side, I know everybody was waiting for the schedule because you're like, yes, Penn State, yes, Pitt. But then you look and you're like, oh, we're going to Houston 
And of course, there's a little familiarity right. that this year in Houston with football as well, with our former coach Dana Holgerson being down there. So that's one of those to where I'm kind of excited to see how this football rivalry turns into the fact not just because you know they're a new team, but just because there's a little something there, um, you know, with his connection here. So I think that that'll be something um, that'll be kind of a cool experience too. I believe I think we're playing there on a Thursday night as well. And a lot of fans had, you know, joked that they were like, it would be too powerful if it was in Morgantown the first year, right? Like people would just go absolutely crazy to see Dana Holgerson back in Morgantown. So I think the big 12 knew what they were doing, putting that one in Houston. I I wish that game was in Morgantown. I I would, I would love to be there burning a couch with y'all, you know, like be a heck of a time, but Nonetheless, that's going to be fascinating uh, for sure on, on that front as far as that goes. And with the uh, you know ongoing discussion of a Big 12 expansion, I know that there's a big debate about whether it's grabbing Colorado and going out west or now you got East Coast schools to consider. Do you really want to go out west when these guys are already traveling a lot as is? And do you consider you know schools like Connecticut or, or, or of sorts here? West Virginia in a you unique position of some sorts because they're already kind of stretched thin travel wise as is. Yeah. And I know last year at Big 12 Media Days when uh the commissioner Brett Yormark had said, you know, hey, we want to we want to be across every single time zone. I'm pretty sure me, the people I work with, everyone in West Virginia was like, oh, why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we we've got it enough as it is with everybody being in central time. And you know, now I mean that that flight out to uh BYU is, you know, we thought going to Iowa State was bad. That's always the dreaded trip going to Iowa State. But, you know, it's just, it's again, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm someone who I love. I love the regional rivalries. I love those close. That's why I think it's so exciting to be playing Penn State, Pitt. I mean, last year or two years ago, we played at Maryland. I think it's one of those things, though, that West Virginia fans, are used to always having to find a rival elsewhere. I mean, there for a while, you know, after Will Greer went and had the two-point conversion at Texas in 2018, then now kind of Texas and West Virginia were almost this rivalry, depending on who's doing what. Um, Mountaineer Nation tries its best to find some rivals. So I think it will be nice to have a team close in Cincinnati and then also some other teams Um there as well but I mean it's it's one of those things that once again traveling comes into it but it's something West Virginia's been doing since it joined the Big 12 so I I do think that in that aspect they do kind of have a little bit of an advantage is these teams these coaches this athletic department is so used to happen to make that you know you play Saturday night even a 7 p.m kick in football well we're getting back at 5 a.m depending where we're coming from if it's basketball you play Big Monday and it's a 9 p.m. Um, Eastern time tip or even 9 p.m. Central on a Big Monday. They're used to these kids getting back at 5 a.m., having to get up, be at class. So it's kind of something that has just kind of become accustomed in this West sure. Virginia athletic department. So I think that while it obviously sounds grueling to have to, you know, go out there on a weeknight, I'm sure, to Utah for any other sport team that it's something that West Virginia has just unfortunately become so used to that while other teams and other conferences, it could just, you know, take a while to get things right. Like 
We know the hotels that we're staying at. We're comfortable with this. You know what I mean? I, I yep. think it's just one of those things that they just become so used to that while now you look at it and you're like, oh man, that that's going to really be hard for some of those teams who aren't used to, you know, traveling outside of the state of Texas for most of their stuff. I think that's where West Virginia really is going to have an advantage because I mean, we're getting those frequent flyer miles. Right. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned just adapting and adjusting, you know, like Kansas and West Virginia haven't been playing each other that long in basketball and I don't feel like either school likes each other that much, you know. I mean, and 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 not to mention, you know, West Virginia's never won in, in Lawrence, but you know, that's another story. As not well. to mention, but you mentioned, okay. Um, you know, but I mean, like we, we talked about UConn, you know, there there were some great games in the Big East between those two for years, you know. So yeah, it would be uh it'd be fun to see exactly what it's gonna do and what it means for the uh, Mountaineers. Uh Angelica, where can people uh, find you and, and see all the great work you're doing covering the Mountaineers? Uh, you do as good a job covering one team as anybody out there. Where can people see everything uh, that you guys are doing here? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So our website is goldandbluenation.com. There you can find um, the links to all of our podcasts as well. We do our best to kind of churn those out. We actually just did a summer update with Neil Brown. Um, and, and the cool thing with football is – they have the fifth quarter program and they just took a team to Europe or took a group of the team to Europe to Europe. So that's pretty cool. We chatted with him about that. Um, also any type of social media, golden blue nation, of course, if you want to follow me as well, Angelica Trenone on all other platforms too. And um, yeah, we, we do our best and we uh, do a lot covering West Virginia, and even though sometimes times are tough, we also have a lot of fun doing it as well. Hey, I, I can't wait to uh, to get to Morgantown one of these days. I'd love to sing Country Roads with everybody there. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's been awesome having the Mountaineers, I think, in the Big 12. It's been great, and look forward to many years ahead uh, for, for that university and being a part of this league. Uh, future's bright, I think, for for what's going forward here. You know, it's funny you bring up country roads because I had a friend who when um, she used to work for she used to cover Baylor. And when Baylor played here, she had said, you know, while it was tough that West Virginia won, she's like, I didn't even care. I just wanted to hear everybody sing country roads. And she <laughs> did a little video of her as well. And she's like, I don't care how much hate I get. It's one of those things that I just want to experience. Um, so it's funny that you say that. So hopefully when you are in Morgantown, we give you an opportunity to be able to do that. Hey, you know me, I know all the good food places. So if you ever are in town, I'll, I'll let you know where the spots are to go to. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. We'll make it happen. She's Angelica Trinone joining us here on the Jones Report this week. Angelica, appreciate the time and we'll talk in down the line. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. Draft season continues here on the Jones Report, and uh, Coach Bo off this week, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the show. So we have gone to the bullpen, and uh, we are pleased to have Jose Soto as a guest uh, picker this week, drafter as we continue throughout draft season. Thomas Bridges also here as well. Guys, uh, this week we're going to draft the favorite athletes you love to hate. Um, and you know, as these drafts do, everybody's going to have a different one, as you can imagine, uh, be more personal and, and all that. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting and it should show a lot about all of us 
Tom, uh, we'll get to the draft here in just a second, but as somebody that I feel like you always have an ax to grind about something, I don't think you're going to have a shortage of people to to think of to draft here, Tom. Yeah, no, a lot of, a lot of the time it's, uh, usually somebody that, that, uh, is either ended up beating the hell out of my team or is just a general douchebag of a person. Um, so, and there's a lot of those. So uh, I've hated quite a few over the last few years. <laughs> I I can sense all of that. Uh, I feel like Tom's got a few things to get off his chest in this draft. Uh, Jose, our guest uh, this week. Thanks for jumping in and filled in for Bo this week. Uh, Jose, what, what do you think uh, about this draft concept? Uh, I feel like you as a Bronco fan, might have uh, a few different Chiefs. It, it might be a whole roster of Chiefs players for you. <laughs> hey, hey, Jones, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, it'd be surprising who my number one pick's going to be, though, out of all the players. So it might it might shock you. We'll see. Okay. All right. Well, we, uh, we did the draft order beforehand. Jose will get the first pick. Tom will get the second pick. I'll have the third, and then I'll have the first pick of round two. We all get six picks, and so uh, everyone knows the rules. We're all set, good to go. So, Jose, you are on the clock uh, as you get the first pick of the uh, players you love to hate draft. Jose, go ahead. Who you got with your number one overall pick? With the number one overall selection, I am going to choose Tom Brady. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so growing up, you know, Brady kind of owned the AFC. And, you know, it, it was – there was times where, you know, he beat my Broncos in the playoffs. Um, he he kind of whooped them during the regular season when they played at times. But there was a few times whenever he – I don't know, man. Like I was I, – I always had a, a very good debate with a good friend of mine and of who the GOAT was. I – He's a huge Tom Brady fan, and I was always all like, no, nah, he's not the go. He's not the go. But after he won, uh, what was it? The Seven Super Bowls. Yeah, after after that point, it's kind of like, all right, you know what? I got to give in. He's the GOAT. He's, you know, he's the greatest of all time. And, you know, him and Peyton Manning, when Peyton Manning was, you know, Bronco, had some really good okay. series. And even him against the Colts, you know, as well. So, Number one selection, I'm going with Tom Brady. Okay. Tom, uh, you're on the clock. Uh, I'll say this. I really hope Tom doesn't take who I'm thinking because I'm honestly shocked that (laughs) Jose didn't go with who I was expecting because I I need to get him with this third pick for my own sanity. But, Tom, go ahead. (laughs) Jones, I know who you're going to take, so you can have him. Um, He never wronged my team. Uh, and he doesn't have any true championships, the one you're talking about. Yeah, you know, Jones, Jose took the first goat, and I'm going to take the other goat of our generation, and I'm going LeBron James. Um, you know, LeBron James, LeBron James, when you know, the whole the whole Heatles deal. And you know, I respect him as a player now, but you know, back in the in the 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, and 14, 
I didn't hate a player more. Um, you know, and the amount of dick riding that people do for LeBron James is incredible. Tim Duncan, overall, better legacy. I don't care what they say. LeBron James had a fake Disney uh, Mickey Mouse championship bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah, LeBron James, he, you know, in, in terms of everybody, that's the most, that's one of the most annoying things. It's not even him. It's his fans. He's like, uh, yes, he's like, the LeBron he's like a, sexuals are the worst. Yeah. He's, they're like Taylor Swifties, man. They're fucking horrible. <laughs> and the worst part, Tom, is the LeBron fans that followed him from team to team and like, oh, all of a sudden I'm not, I'm a Cavs fan. I'm a Laker fan now. Yeah. I hate that's That's annoying too. I hate <laughs> LeBron fans. It's like pick a team, you know, just cause the Spurs went to shit the last couple of years. I didn't switch teams. You didn't you know, become a Kawhi fan in, in Toronto. Yeah, and I'm not a Clipper fan now. You know, the Rams sucked forever, and I still stuck with them. Like, pick one team, <laughs> enjoy the good times, but don't be a bitch when it comes to the bad times. I've had a lot of bad times in sports. It, it did take a hey. It took a minute for you to warm up to the L.A. Rams, though, when they moved. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> yeah, you know, that was that was tough. But I couldn't see myself rooting for another team, though. All right. Uh, with that, I get the long-awaited pick. I this is the easiest pick I think I've ever made on this show in draft season. I got to go with Kevin Durant. Uh, he, you know, it's. It's almost the 4th of July, and he literally ruined a holiday for me and destroyed what should have been the best years of all of our lives, of the Thunder having multiple championships in a dynasty, and he brought it all down by himself. And, And then not to mention not just the fact that he left, but the fact that he was a bitch ass after he left. And... How soft he is. Even even today, I was reading about him going after Jason McIntyre, of all people, who I think Jason McIntyre's a, an idiot. But even him, like, who cares what McIntyre has to say? Uh, he's the softest athlete. All his championships are Mickey Mouse. Uh, his his uh, time in, New, in Brooklyn was a failure. This year in Phoenix was a failure. I wish nothing good towards Kevin Durant and have God have, have no mercy on his soul. Uh, Kevin Durant <laughs> with my first pick. My, my next pick, I'm going to go to football. And uh, this is a guy I don't have. I'll, I'll say this. It's not to do with anything against my own teams. It's just the fact that he is probably the biggest douchebag in the most recent history of the NFL. And I'm annoyed every time I see him on social media, on TV, and all his antics. He gets old so fast. I got to go Antonio Brown. Uh, oh, that's Antonio a good Brown one. is a bitch. Uh, <laughs> I cannot stand Antonio Brown. I do not want to see him anywhere. And I get very annoyed even when, uh, when he was like – when Brady was getting divorced and posting stuff with Giselle, like that, that's not cool, man. Like that's, that's that even for Antonio Brown. And I know he's got that CT and all that. I I thought that was even a bridge too far for him. So Antonio Brown's my next pick. Tom, you're up. 
you know, I'm going to have to stick with basketball. And, and this is a, this is a player. I think, you know, a, a lot of people don't like LeBron and I think it's calmed down over the years because he's gotten more likable or not just as annoying with his antics. Um, and he, he's always been, you know, LeBron's always been a crybaby, but I'm going to tell you crybaby number one bitch of the league right now, still today. I'm going to go with Draymond Green. The yeah. amount of people who do not like Draymond Green, he might be the most hated player in the league overall. If I had to ask somebody who was not a Warriors fan, who is a uh, number one bitch in the NBA, I would say a large majority of people would be like, you know what I cannot stand? Draymond Green. Crybaby, complainer, punched his own teammate. Uh, just an overall villain and a bitch. He would make a great WWE player, and I would love to see him get thrown off the hell in the cell. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to see him get hit over the head with a ladder or broken through a table. Um, he is... I guess there's a couple different players in the NBA that I absolutely cannot stand. Uh, and to be honest, you know, long period of time, that's why I took LeBron. But for the most part right now, Draymond Green cannot stand him. If he went to the Spurs, I'd be pissed. All right, Jose, you got back-to-back picks here. <clears throat> All right, so with my next selection, I'm going to have to choose Patrick Beverly. Ooh, good pick. Yeah, yeah, Patrick Beverly. I, man, you know, he was a nobody until he, he hit Russell Westbrook in the knee, and then everybody knew the name Patrick Beverly. The Thunder had just got off the loss in the finals, the playoffs before, leading into this playoff series, the first round. They were the first in the West, you know, had a 60-win season and look to be going straight back to the finals and everything just derailed after that first round when Patrick Beverly in, in game two just yeah. and I mean the, they called a timeout and you know the ref blew the whistle so you know game stopped and this guy just you know Westbrook already stopped and he just dribbled the ball and he just went down low trying to take the ball away like like an idiot and man KD you know he he did one thing would leave the thunder but who knows if KD would even have left if Patrick Beverly didn't hurt Westbrook maybe they could have won a championship maybe they maybe then KD would have stayed i don't know but that's the root of our problems, Jones, Patrick yeah. Beverly. That's a very good answer. Good history lesson for the folks out there, reminding them of uh, Pat Beverly there. Jose, you're uh, back on the clock. So with my next pick, I'm going to have to go with Floyd Mayweather. Mm. And my pick behind that is because, you know, a lot of people will say he's, he's the GOAT in boxing and, you know, Fair enough. You know, he hasn't lost a, a single match, boxing match in his career. And, you know, for me growing up, you know, Mexican background, you know, <laughs> we had some really good Mexican Mexican uh, boxers Canelo. come through. You know, we, we, we had, uh, you know, Oscar de la Hoya and, and Floyd had a good 
you know, a good series there and rivalry. You know, I got to see that. I also got to see, you know, Canelo come up through the ranks and also take him on. And and just, I don't know, man. It's just something about, like, I will say this. He puts on a show. I mean, he, he boxes with technicality where he's there to get the points, not to knock somebody out. But I just wanted to see him lose one fight. Like, this whole time, I just wanted to see him lose one fight. There were times where I felt like he probably should have lost, but he just dances around, and and I'm just like, gosh, someone just knock him out. (laughs) That's a very good answer. Uh, Floyd Mayweather off the board. So far, Jose's got Tom Brady, Pat Bev, and Floyd Mayweather. Tom's got LeBron and Draymond, and I have Kevin Durant and Antonio Brown. Tom, you're on the clock with your third pick. Uh, You know – I've, I've got two basketball players on my list, and so I'm going to have to diversify here. I'm going to have to go football. I think I thought he'd be still on the board. Uh, you know, Jones and, and Jose, you probably know my most hated team of all time. Uh, and still to this day, I have family members that are big fans, and I live in a state where they're probably the most liked NFL team. Um, I'm going to go Jerry Jones. Cannot stand him. He's a horrible. Man, you got by on technicality because he played college football. I mean, he's a sport. He's a sports figure. He literally owns a team. We said athlete, but you get you barely get by on technicality. Very good answer, though. He's a um, he's he's an athlete in the in the game of being a bitch. He's the he's number one. He's if if LeBron is the goat of our time in basketball and. You know, Tom Brady's the goat of our time in football, or just the general goat. Uh, the general ownership of entire sport. Like, I cannot think of another sports owner who is more of a bitch than Jerry Jones. Um, and and you have the true Cowboy fans who absolutely cannot stand Jerry Jones. And that that's mine. I, I cannot. I hate Jerry Jones more than... I mean, he's the face. He's the head of the snake of the team of the Dallas Cowboys, and I hate Dallas more than anything. All right. So if we're going to do that and stretch out, if we're going to go that far back to Jerry Jones being an athlete, then I'll I'll bend with the rules a little bit myself. Can I – and maybe – you guys can tell me if this counts as two picks or if I can just count them as one. Can I have the Paul brothers – Logan I was going to go with the, oh, you got to pick one. <laughs> Which one's worse? They're both awful. Um I I I can't stand any of them. I don't want to see any of them whatsoever. They're so obnoxious. Um you know and and trying to be fighters and all this when they're really not and all the social media attention and everything. Clout chasers to the de- very definition. <laughs> so tell you what. Here's what I'll do, Tom. You and Jose, tell me what you think of this. I'll go ahead and use my two picks here on both Paul brothers. I'll lock down the Paul brothers on the <laughs> most hated athlete douchebag list here. Uh, I'll go with both Paul brothers here. Tom, you're back on the clock. It's Jake Paul and um... – oh, who's the other one? Logan Paul. Oh, Lo- okay. Yeah, that's right. Hey, his prime drinks are pretty good. I'll, I'll, t- I'll say that. Jose's supporting him. 
<laughs> uh, you, hey, you can't knock it till you try it, and you know it's pretty good. You but, left that one in, in my fridge, and I tried it, the fruit punch. I'm not a big fan of fruit punch, but uh, it wasn't bad overall. I'd still rather have a Red Bull, but it wasn't bad. Okay, who you got, Tom? Now, Jones went double up right there, and I was like, okay. My next pick was actually going to be Jake Paul because I cannot stand him. Um, and I've been waiting for someone to knock his ass out. He did recently lose, finally. Um, thank God. Um, and they acted like, oh, you know, not that big of a deal. You know, he's fine. He's still going to box. And, oh, he's still good and all this other stuff. But, no, that was going to be my next pick. Um, instead, I'm going to take a page out of Tyler Jones's playbook. And I don't even really hate this guy. I sat by him when me and Jones went to a NASCAR race. His wife saw, I don't necessarily get the hate a whole lot for this guy, but I know enough people hate him. So in that technicality, I'm going to go Kyle Busch. <laughs> um, okay. Because you hear a lot of people online. They interview the NASCAR fans, and everybody says, fuck Kyle Busch. And I'm like, damn, why? I mean, I, you know, I'm like, dang. Like, I don't, I, you know, I don't follow NASCAR super heavy, but I know enough about it that every time I see some person interviewing, you know, rowdy NASCAR fans, the first thing, the two things they say is raise Dale, praise Dale, and fuck Kyle Busch. <laughs> Um, so for, for, you know, and I don't, I don't get it still, but I know enough people hate him. Well, so I'm gonna have to pick, let's, I'm gonna have to pick so, Kyle Bush. That's that's a good answer. I personally have never had any problems with Kyle in my interactions. He's been very kind and gracious to me when I've interviewed him. I have nothing against Kyle, but like Kyle's done some dirty things over the years and ruffled some feathers. Uh, uh, when I was in Talladega, there's a guy that wore a sign on his head that said Kyle <laughs> Bush is a douchebag. Um, and what was funny, you know, he was always getting booed in driver intros every year, uh, at every race. And this year when he lost his ride from Joe Gibbs and went to Richard Childers racing, uh, he started getting cheers and people all of a sudden were cheering for Kyle Busch and Carl Edwards came to a race this year for the first time in five years. And he said to Dale Jr., what the hell happened here? Why the cheering Kyle Busch now? And like, and Dale said, well, when you start driving Chevrolets, things change. In <laughs> so, oh a Toyota. So, yeah, uh, Kyle Bush is a very clever, interesting pick there. Jose, uh, two picks for you back-to-back. So, my next pick I'm going to go with Carlos Carrera because he was the ringleader of the sign-stealing scandal Ooh. that mm. during that time – they they beat my Dodgers in the World Series. So they found, you know, they, they had found that the team in general was stealing, you know, signals from opposing teams throughout the whole season and into the playoffs. And, you know, it just happened to be that my Dodgers were in the World Series and going up against, you know, the Astros. And, you know, it just that, – that kind of crossed the line for me. I just – my my hate for the whole Astros organization just went from like nothing to one hundred. 
like after that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like this is going to be, I mean, it took me a minute to wait to see the Dodgers win the world series, but you know, it's still, it's like, it would have been nice to have won it in front of a crowd. And, you know, he was part of that big ordeal that, that happened. I like that. That's a, that's a nice, clever pick too. Nice uh, thinking outside the box there with Correa. Who's your next pick? Uh, my next pick. I mean, I, this is just a personal one. Um, messy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man. I'm a huge Ronaldo fan. So I, you know, I just, I know growing up, you know, through the ages, you know, there's always been that debate of who's the go of soccer and, you know, Ronaldo's done this, Messi's done that, you know, Ronaldo's kind of like the all-time leading scorer in, in the world for goals. But then the fans of Messi are like, well, Messi won a World Cup and, you know, and all this kind of stuff, which I, I personally think, this, you know, it was rigged. The, <laughs> the guitar one was rigged. Oh, man. You know, um, you know, I, I think it was rigged, but, you know, that's for another kind of discussion. But you know, I just, just, I just feel like Ronaldo, even at this age, is still, you know, still able to play, and you know, he's still making good money, and you know, he's done quite a bit in his career. That you know, he his physique is just crazy for the age that he is, and to still be competing at a pretty high level, you know, I think, uh, you know, if he, he could easily go back and play, probably at a, you know, what a league. I think he just got done playing at Man U, like what, like a year or two ago. Yeah. So. You know, it's quite impressive. You know, Messi, he's kind of gone downhill quite a bit. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's All right. my pick. Okay. Uh, Tom, you're a next pick here. Uh, you know, I'm like, I thought for sure when Jose mentioned, started talking baseball, I thought he was saying Jose Altuve. I thought for sure um, he was going that route, but he got close. Um, so I'm not surprised. If, if we're still staying in the realm of I can pick somewhat ownership, um, I'm going to stick with the NFL here too again, and I'm going to go Roger Goodell. You oh, never – yeah, I mean, I mean for, a, <laughs> for a commissioner, oh, my God. Everybody hates Roger Goodell. I've, ne- I've never heard anybody go, you know what? You know, he's not that bad of a guy. No. Everybody yeah, you talk to is like, he gets so much booze. He's even worse than David Stern was when David Stern was alive. Rest his soul. Uh, Roger Goodell gets some more hate. And I don't necessarily hate him. You know, if I went to the draft, I'm not going to boo. I would boo him in terms of, uh, like, groupthink. I would boo him just to say I got to boo him. <laughs> um, but it's, it's definitely going to be Roger Goodell. I got to take that pick. So, Goodell uh, had injuries that kept him from playing college football, but was a three-sport athlete in high school. (laughs) I think think it's such a good enough idea that we'll we'll let it slip by. Um, Roger Goodell off the board. So my final two picks. Um, You know, between Jake Paul and Logan Paul, uh, my next two picks – I got like the the quadfecta here of bitch ass white boys that I'm gonna pick here in the words <laughs> of uh, Draymond Green, you know, or, or Montrez Harrell was, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Conor McGregor with my next pick. Conor McGregor, uh, I mean, 
he, I really lost it, got pissed off when he uh, when he broke into that bus and uh, shattered it and, like, you know, stole stuff from people. It's like, what the hell, man? And it's always something with him, you know, the fake retirement stuff. Like, he, he's so obnoxious and so uh, unbecoming, uh, Conor McGregor. I can't deal with Conor McGregor. Uh, I wish nothing good on Conor McGregor. <laughs> My final pick, this one. He is public enemy number one of college basketball fans. Uh, he is everything you hate about the University of Duke. Um, I know that he's been in the NBA a few years, but his time in college basketball made him hate him so much. I got to go Grayson Allen with this pick. Ooh, that's a solid one. Grayson Allen just sucks. And white Draymond Green. All the <laughs> yeah, he's the white Draymond Green, basically. You know, yeah, we'll go, we'll go Grayson Allen with that final pick. So my team is Kevin Durant, Tony O'Brown, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, Connor McGregor, and Grayson Allen. Tom, your final pick. You know. It's funny. I got two uh, OU Gooners on here with me, and I will not take. I will not take an OU Center here. Surprise, surprise! You know I've gotten over my Baker Mayfield hate just because he played for the Rams and uh, he won you he uh, a few games. Yeah, he hasn't. He doesn't really done shit in his NFL career, so he'll never win a Super Bowl. Thank God. Um, and Kyler Murray sucks just enough that, um, you know, you never see really any OU Cardinals fans anymore. It's still OU fans follow Baker like LeBron Dick Riders follow LeBron, and it's so annoying. That is how true that statement is. I, I never met a Cleveland Brown fan that was not also an OU fan. Um, <laughs> and, and now they're nowhere to be found. So, um, you know, they never followed Bradford like that. Probably because Bradford was even worse in the NFL than than Baker Mayfield was. Um, so I'm not going to take an OU player. Maybe one of the most annoying people in the history of literally just NBA color commentary. The worst in the whole league. He's also a Hall of Famer. He's also he can shut the fuck up. If I'd never had to listen to him ever again, I wouldn't. Every time I see the Spurs play this team on on if they're playing in Houston and I, I and the the broadcast is playing, I'll mute the TV because I'll end up getting pissed. Clyde Drexler, fuck Clyde Drexler, <laughs> I he is the worst. He he's he talks so much shit, and I if I ever got to see him in person and could get away with it, I'd be like, hey, listen, man, I appreciate your basketball greatness, but listen, you are the worst and on commentary you're the you're you're horrible he's he's worse than that old uh the old guy who used to do ou um Bird Johnson, r.i.p yeah he's he's even worse it, that's he's worse than merv way worse and he was bad <laughs> all right <laughs> jose final pick of the draft who are you going with oh final pick Man, it's a lot of good ones already off the board. You know, I think um, this one's kind of more of just recent kind of feeling of like, you got to be kidding me kind of feeling like really. Ja Morant. No. Ja Morant. <laughs> you know, 
like coming into the league, I thought he was, you know, I was like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. Like, you know, he's got some explosiveness, you know, puts on a good show. Like, if you're going to go see an NBA game, you know, he's probably one of the ones you want to see in action. You know, he, he kind of delivers and, you know, his explosiveness dunks and just playmaking. But, man, over the past year, just everything that's just kind of gone on, like, I mean, his life's now under a microscope after the whole strip club incident with the gun. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things like you you did a public apology with Jalen on, you know, ESPN. Talked about how, you know, apologizing to the world and how you're going to try to get better and how you're working on it and how it won't happen again kind of thing. And then. You know, then you got the whole incident with the Instagram live happening recently in a car with, you know, seems to be like him and his buddy singing a song and his buddy's on live. He looks over, you know, Jaws just jamming out. You know, he puts the phone back to him and he looks over and Jaw has a gun. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> It's like what, what the hell, you know? <laughs> and he drops the phone like because he saw that. Oh crap! Like I need to, <laughs> I need to drop this. I can't get him caught, but too late. So I don't get it. I, I don't get you know. I don't think any one of us will ever understand. But you know, the the money's gone to his head, and he needs you know new friends, and just he needs some some guidance. Maybe they need to get some good veterans on the team, and. Maybe smart will help him, you know, shaping up a little bit now that they don't have um what's his name? Well, who's that one guy that always stocks Brooks, yeah, yep. So, Brooks. To recap the draft, Team Jose of athletes you love to hate. Tom Brady, Patrick Beverly, Floyd Mayweather, Carlos Correa, Lionel Messi, and John Morant. Team Tom, LeBron James, Draymond Green, Jerry Jones, Kyle Busch, Roger Goodell, and Clyde Drexler. Uh, Team Jones, Kevin Durant, Antonio Brown, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, Connor McGregor, and Grayson Allen. Jose, besides your own team, who'd you like better, my team or Tom's team? Oh, you know, I'm surprised Tom didn't say Zaza. I'm surprised. But yeah, I do I, still hate him. He's he's on he's like the sixth man. Uh, who who were your top picks, uh, Jones? Again, Kevin Durant, top Antonio team. Brown, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, Conor McGregor, and Grayson Allen. I think I'd go with Tom just because, like, I, I don't really have any hate towards the uh, the brothers and the KD hate. I mean, I get he did ruin a holiday for all of us here, but. You know, I think I've gone over it, and I understand now. Like, I, I've gone through the whole process of You've gone through the grieving. That, I have, and I've already accepted it. You know, I'm I'm actually open to if he ever decides to come back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom, what do you think of uh, Jose and Ice teams? I thought they were pretty good. I, I agree with you on the Paul brothers. They can – they can fuck right <laughs> off. Um, I, I, the Tom Brady pick is a solid one. If if Jose would have went LeBron first, I would have went Tom Brady. Tom Brady's caused me many, many. He's caused me much pain. Okay, he's beat my team <laughs> twice in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, yeah, I did. I and, and he ruined I, I your trip to Tampa. He, 
He, well, yeah, he tried He tried to really ruin it, and then he retired, and I thought, oh, man, if I ever have kids one day, I could be like, yeah, went to his last game, and our whole household's <laughs> favorite team ruined it because uh, I won't ever let my kids not be a Rams fan. I say that, and I tried, my dad tried to influence me. I remember when I was young and naive, my family tried to make me a Dallas Cowboys fan, and then – I got a little older and a little wiser, and then I was a Chiefs fan for about a split second, and then I finally got to pick my own team when I was, you know, wise enough to to do so. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised two people didn't really come off the board for you all. Well, not really this one, but this one I thought could have went off the board. I thought I could have thought Mike Vick would have went off the board. Um. And I'm I'm really shocked between you two gooners that uh, after me taking Goodell and Jerry Jones, you guys didn't say Lincoln Riley. Oh man, yeah, I guess I did yeah. forget about that one. Lincoln Riley. Back to Tom's loose term rules here, you know, like I'm sure Lincoln <laughs> Riley. He was a walk-on <laughs> quarterback at Tech that never played. You know, like oh, okay, uh, <laughs> he played more. He played more than we did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Another name that I thought about, if I was playing by Tom's loose rules here, um, Jackson Mahomes. Oh, man. <laughs> cannot stand Jackson Mahomes. And he's a criminal, you know? Like, he might be going to jail here soon. So. He, he definitely cheats in the family cornhole. He definitely does. He definitely cheats in the yard games, for sure. Right? Oh, uh, yeah. So there you have it. That's our results of uh, this week's draft. Jose, thanks for joining us, man, and uh, filling in this week uh, as our uh, guest picker, man. Anytime, Jones. Final segment before we go. It's a Tom Fulry story of the week. Tom Spritz is standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we go to this time? Jones, we're going to California. Uh Exactly. They know how to party, and they also uh, obviously know how to confess their sins. Jones, I know you're not Catholic. I'm not Catholic. The church that I grew up in was kind of like kind of a Catholic church, but we never had a priest where you went to like confess your sins. Have you ever been to like a Catholic church where you had like confession, where you went into the booth and confessed your sins? Uh, I have not gone to confession myself. I, I've been to Catholic Mass like a couple times, but never partook in the uh, confession part of things. Well, Jones, this restaurant in Northern California actually brought the confession booth to work. Oh. Uh, from the Washington Post reads, restaurant used fake priests to hear workers' confession, feds say. Reported priests ask employees work-related questions, including whether they had stolen from the restaurant's owner. The owners of a Northern California taqueria chain will pay $140,000 in back wages and damages after federal investigators found they used a fake priest to elicit confessions of wrongdoing from their employees, the Labor Department announced this month. Labor officials begin looking into allegations that employees weren't being paid overtime wages at the Sacramento area chain Taqueria Garibaldi in May 2021. And investigators contact as investigators contacted employees, they learned that a man who was 
acting as a priest had been introduced by the owner to get the sins out of the restaurant workers, one former employee said in an affidavit filed in the case. The priest began the meetings with a prayer. Labor Department investigator uh, Ralph Raquel Afaro testified that last year. He then asked the employees whether they were loyal to owner Eduardo Hernandez and whether they had ever stolen from him. As soon as the confession started, I found the conversation to be strange and unlike normal confessions, where I would tell the priest about sins I wanted to confess, former employee Maria Parra said in her sworn declaration. The priest mostly had work-related questions, which I thought was pretty strange. Hernandez told another employee that they needed to help him by telling investigators they worked only eight hours each day, five days a week, according to filings. Hernandez also asked the employee to manipulate time cards that suggested otherwise. In reality, the employee said they regularly worked more than 40 hours a week and they only had one day off, according to a declaration the Labor Department filed in the case. Restaurant management also threatened employees with adverse immigration consequences. Damn, that's jacked up. And used pooled tips to pay managers. Another unnamed employee told investigators that manager Alejandro Rodriguez would not let us sit down and eat, forcing workers to hide in the refrigerator during meals. The government called the scheme among the most shameless acts of employer intimidation and retaliation in a scene. Federal judge ordered Hernandez's co-owner Hector Manuel Martinez Galindo and Rodriguez to pay 35 employees a total of 140000 in back wages and damages. This employer's despicable attempts to retaliate against employees were intended to silence workers, obstruct an investigation, and prevent the recovery of unpaid wages, the Labor Department said in a statement. The government was unable to identify the man who acted as a priest though Alfaro testified that employees knew him as Hernandez's friend. Local church authorities are completely confident he was not a priest at the Diocese of Sacramento. The defendant's lawyer did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The three men must also pay the Labor Department five grand and provide the government with employment and payroll records upon request. Jones, um, did they here's what i'm saying they brought a priest into work for confession hour or whatever the hell did they did they even get paid to go to confession or like I, from the from the sounds of it it's a taqueria chain sounds like they got a bunch of immigrants working there who may or may not be legal um, sound, you know, it sounds like it because of the intimidation factor of, well, better confess your sins or you better, you know, you better, uh, you know, you better comply with what we're trying to get you to do or we're going to report you to the immigration and you'll get sent back from wherever the fuck you came from. Um, and then not paying them overtime and adjusting time cards and stuff. This guy sounds like he needs to go to jail. Screw the back wages. I say put this guy in jail for just being a general asshole. If 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 I if we would have read this story before we would have drafted, uh, you know, the athletes you love to hate. If he would turned out to be an athlete, athlete, this guy would have been on my list. An athlete. Uh, an athlete. Yeah, an athlete. Athlete. Oh yeah. Uh, wow. Isn't that something? Uh, that this guy did this and I mean I've heard a lot of bizarre stories we've talked about some crazy things on this show Tom I, I don't think I've, I've ever heard of anything similar to this like 
you know, I, I think of we we've seen movies all the time where you know people are in prison and they're saying to one another, you know, what are you in here for? What'd you do? Whatever, like, you know that that's what I think of when it's confession. You know, we we are all sinners. You know, we all have made mistakes, and now I'm going to have to admit my mistakes to you on the job. What what, what if what if you would have said something that would have been a violation of some sorts? What have you said, you know, like when he asked, what'd you do? Like, oh, you know, I, I spit in somebody's food or, you know, I I, uh, I jacked off in the bathroom or something like that. You know, I was, I was lusting over, uh, you know, a coworker or something like that. Like, would they have fired you? Like, I mean, if was it true, genuine confession here? Like, what, what were you trying to get out of this? No, I mean, definitely, like they said, a fake priest. I think the, the guy was just brought him in to see if anybody was, like, was cheating him or, you know, stealing from him or, you know, screwing the business over or, you know, something like that, which is pretty jacked up to use somebody's religion to for your own gain. I mean, there are some churches that do that anyway, but to, to do that at your workplace, uh, you know, I get it that, you know, different cultural things it sounds like taqueria chain it sounds like a lot of these people in the at least in the article from all the last names i just read seems to be of you know latin latino latina descent um latinx i guess you know and we know that majority of uh the latino community is is roman catholic and uh is, is hardcore about their confession and church and catholicism so to pray on not only that, but then it sounds like some of these people had questionable legal status here in this country, just trying to make a dollar. Um, to intimidate those people over that, put them in a hard place, and then, uh, you know, treat these people badly, and then to bring in a fake priest, um, you know, where these people didn't really have a leg to stand on necessarily, it's pretty jacked up. And it's pretty crazy that they didn't find the fake priest. Like, has this guy had any, uh, I don't, I don't know what you call it. What, what are they, how do you get it trained as a priest? And is, there, like, is, is this like some service he offers? Like, will he, uh, will he, you know, dress up, uh, you know, uh, for your, uh, your quinceanera, you know, as a, uh, uh, you know, do that too, or, or will he, um, you know, bar bar mitzvah. Will he he show up as the uh, the rabbi, the rabbi, or something too? I mean, like, is this like a, a business he offers? You know, to pretend to be your uh, your religious leader? Like, will he do weddings and such? Like, I, I want to know more about this guy. Yeah, and I can't, I can't believe they didn't catch him. Like, couldn't they have said when they're investigating the guy? Like, okay, you can pay a little bit less in back wages if we find this fake priest going around doing this. Was it just one of his friends that he was just like, hey, man, uh, I'll give you some money. You just got to dress up like you got to, you know, be Father Father Emmanuel if you go in here and, and convince these workers to, to do that. The workers, too, like, did no one say? Were they too scared to be like, uh, this seems weird. Why would we confess shit at work? Like, uh, no, how about I'll just go to my priest that I go to every Sunday and confess to a guy that I know? Like, not to mention, going to be a little guy you're bringing in. Think about this too. Let's say that you're a Catholic that's working there, 
You've grown up your entire life in the Catholic Church, going to confession at the Catholic Church. Wouldn't it just be a little bit odd? You're like, wait, this isn't normal. Like, shouldn't that catch your attention right away? Yeah, and then what if you're working for them and you're not religious or you're not Catholic or you're that too. You know, a different religion? Like, I'm not going to confess my sins to anybody. I'm not Catholic. Even if I was, I'm not doing it at work. I'm like, uh, how about no? Um, you know, if I wanted to tell on myself, I'd just get drunk on this show and, and spout out things I'd be embarrassed about. I wouldn't just go in a, you would you go, do they set up a booth? Did you just go in the janitor's closet and talk to this guy? And he had his face hidden by a couple mops. You know, how did this get set up? I need some pictures. I need some, was it like a, a makeshift room? Did they just go in the break room and, you know, tell everybody not to come in there during the time? Like, how did this get set up? Like, what is the, did they not ask? You know, so you can never be too non-suspicious about things. It's just when you let your guard down, you're, you're you know, the next thing you know, uh, you know, old Yodes at Chat Sports is going to set up a booth and, you know, secretly have you confess your sins and put a YouTube camera in there for content. Um, you know, I, I would actually, I would love a good Chat Sports confession hour. I'm sure that would be super interesting, but oh, you your, your workplace, your workplace would be way more interesting than mine, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, um, there's a lot of different directions you could go with this. And, you know, let me make something very clear. We're, we're not making fun of anybody's religion, you know, or Catholic faith or anything like that. Uh, let me just make that very clear before I say this next. No. no. Um, you, have you thought about, Tom, like, of what people say in confession? Like, you know, I wonder, what does the priest react? Again, I, I am, I wholeheartedly admit, I'm coming at this. As somebody call me naive, what you want to be, but like again, I'm not Catholic. I've never been in confession, but like, are there people, whether it was in this situation, you know, at the at the restaurant or at the church, that say, you know what, yeah, I I, I cheated on my wife. You know, I had the best sex of my life with a woman that was married, and and you know, I was married, and we just had a great time. You know, like was it wrong? Yeah, but I enjoyed it. It was a good time. Like, what what does the what does the priest say then? Hell yeah, brother! No, you know, I don't, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I see. I always thought about it too. Like, okay, the priest puts his hand on the Bible or does whatever he needs to do, so he's bound. His the secrets are he's bound by. I don't know, bound by God not to share this stuff with anybody else. It's just you, the priest, and God, right? What if someone comes in and is like, yo, father, whatever. Um, yeah, you know those murders? They're looking for this guy for like 20 years. He killed like five people in the woods, and they found the bodies but never found the guy. Yeah, that's me. Um, at what point are you bound as a priest to not like tell on someone who might have committed a mass crime like well then like, like you get these catholic schools and i'm not trying to hit on a touchy subject oh, the rape thing for I sure mean, aren't educators mandatory reporters i mean yeah like i mean 
like any teacher in, in the school system like is bound by law if they suspect child abuse going on to report it. Right. Or or they could be held liable legally, like serve jail time if they don't report yeah. suspicious behavior. Like are priests bound by the same if someone some guy comes in and is like, uh, yeah, I do want to commit a sin. I I robbed a bank and shot three people or you know, maybe I stole five cars or, you know, maybe I set fire to whatever building last week. Like, are they not obligated to report, uh, you know, crimes? Right. You know, where's the limit? You know, is there a limit? Those, uh-huh. those are questions. So Catholics out there, if you're listening, I would love to know. Is there a limit to what you can commit or what you can confess and get away with? If I went out and murdered five people and got away with it, and two years later I went to a confessional booth and, and told the priest, hey, yeah, you know those murders two years ago? That was me. I'd like to confess my sins and be forgiven. You know, do you just do five Hail Marys and get over it? Or is the, is the priest being like, uh... Maybe we need to have you locked up, like, right? What is what's the barrier to that? That's did, did Kendall Roy in succession after he killed that kid just go to confession and wipe his hands clean, call the day? You know, like, yeah, uh, I, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, how does that how does that work? Like, and then you know, what did OJ uh, go to confession? In the grand scheme of things, these people that. Uh, confess their sins to a fake priest at work. Are those sins now forgiven? Yeah, if they uh, thought it was a real priest. Do those yeah, sins? Yeah, they thought it was a real priest. Yeah. So, um, at this point, are those sins forgiven, or do they have to go to a real priest now? So, I'll, I'll keep the identity of this person private, but a I'll, I'll put it this way, Tom, a uh, a friend of the show um, who's been on here many many times before. Um, Somebody that's a, a very you know close friend of mine. Um, they went to Catholic school and growing up, and they told me that when they went to confession, that they got handed a card uh, of recommendations to confess. And uh, as they were you know a teenager or whatever, and uh, the number one recommendation was uh, masturbation. No man. So did he? Did he confess his sins? I think he did, yes. I mean, see, that's that's just a strange deal. I mean, and and then, you know, what, you know, I wonder how many times that people, you know, kids who grew up Catholic that had to go to confession, I wonder how much they lied about, or I wonder how much they just, like, didn't tell the whole truth, like, instead of, like, yeah, definitely did the dirty jerk five or six times this week. Um, instead, you know, I uh, jerked the girk six times. Instead of saying that, how many times did you say, yeah, I yelled at my mom or I didn't do my chores? Like how many, how many BS excuses did they come up with just, just, just to have something to say, you know? And then and I wonder now though, like think as a 40 year old goes into confession, uh, you know, does a 40 year old go tell the priest, yeah. Did the dirty jerk five times this week? You know, does that still happen? Or uh, I would love, and this is obviously 
I don't know. This is just a weird. Uh, here's a confession for me. I would love to sit in. I would love just to hear. I don't even need to know who it is. You could use fake voices. I just want to know what the average, uh, you know, the average, let's say the busiest day of confession. I want to sit in on that and just see what people have to say. I don't need to see a face. I don't need to hear a voice. I don't even need to know. I just want to know what people are actually going and they're saying. Um, I'll, I'll, I, I got a question for you. Uh, this could end up uh, in confession potentially for people listening out there. Uh, might be a recommendation of some sorts based on the answer we give here. So I mentioned at the top of the show that when I was uh, – in Nashville this weekend, ran into Alex Bennett and Jordan Woodruff, a uh, barstool and the uh, the Mean Girl Pod, and uh, they had this question they posed on their show this week: um, Is it wrong to masturbate in the guest bedroom uh, at somebody's place you're visiting? Is is that wrong to do? What what's your opinion, Tom? Ooh, that's a tough one. How long are you there? Um, th- there wasn't anything specific. Like you're you're staying over or whatever. Like one or two nights. Uh, I'd say if it's like a weekend, I'd say get it together. <laughs> you know, I'd say get it, control yourself, get it together. Uh, if you need to do it that bad, go to like a Seven Eleven real quick. You know, if it's more than like a week, then like all right. You know, I mean, I you know, I don't know how many times you've been to an Airbnb. Like, who didn't? Who hasn't busted a nut in an Airbnb? Like, you know. Is well, it, the idea they brought up was a close friend's guest bedroom. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. I personally, here's a confession for whoever listens to the show. I personally would not if I'm staying there for a brief time. I'm like, all right, I can, you know, I don't, you know, I don't need to be doing all that. Now, if it's like more than a week or so, I okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, that would, I don't know. I just, you know, I have a guest bedroom now. You stayed in it. Meg has stayed here. Jose stayed here. Uh, you know, multiple people have now stayed in that room. I personally have never even slept in that bed that is in that guest room. So it doesn't really bother me all that much, and I don't really care. I've slept in many hotel beds that I'm sure have done a lot worse. So, um, you know, my idea is kind of like, okay, if you do, you do. Keep it to yourself. I don't want to know. Don't let me find any evidence. Don't like... <laughs> don't Keep in there with a black light. <laughs> yeah, don't stay at my house and then like two weeks later I found like a bunch of crusty ass socks or tissues under the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, oh. Like, you know, I'd say at that point you got to be a little considerate. If you're going to do it, I mean, sure, by all means. Like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, have like instead of a, a live, laugh, love sign at my house, I'm like, hey, please jack off in the guest bedroom. <laughs> I'll just put I'll just put above the bed, live, <laughs> laugh, nut. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Getting in there and you're like, just inspiration <laughs> about masturbation. Like, like, uh, 
like I don't know, it's some like what's the Olive Garden when you're here, your family, like just put that on there and then like parentheses are like feel free to jack off anytime in my house. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, when I when you when somebody comes over here and I say, Yay, man, yeah, make yourself at home. I don't mean go jack off in my guest bedroom by all means, but you know what I mean? You know, I, you know, I don't know. Like that's not the first thing that comes to mind. But I mean, I suppose that you know, it's it's sad to have happened. You know, I would rather you, you know, if you were gonna come jack off in my house, I'd rather have you know, jack off into your own sock. Don't like fill my fucking shower drain. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean. You know, it could be worse, I suppose. Well, um, Tom, I've stayed over at your place many times. Uh, you would be happy to know uh, I have never jerked off uh, at your residencies. I am. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> you have been, even if you did, uh, you call me Father Tom. You have been. You have been forgiven. You just need to do a couple <laughs> hell Mary. Just do a couple hell Marys and say go pokes and. You'll be forgiven. Pistol firing. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that brings a whole new meaning. <laughs> Notice Tom did not confess uh, the same. He, he didn't say he hasn't done it at, at my place. So I'm trying to think. When's the last time I stayed? I guess in... Uh, in October yeah. for the Baylor game. That was the last time you stayed in there. No, Billy was in the room. I wouldn't have done it then. Um, and then I guess before that would have been. Gosh, that's funny. Did I stay with I've stayed with you and Lawrence, but not. Maybe did I? Yeah, you've stayed with me and Lawrence before. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, no, I would have known then if I would have done it. No, no, I have not. I have not. Maybe I'll need to come down to Dallas sometime and 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 uh, jerk jerk <laughs> off Big D. <laughs> Pistols firing, touchdown, Oklahoma State. Oh yes, that's that's a super chat idea. If I've ever had one, oh, you did a super chat before for chat sports. Like every, uh, what'd you say? Every how? Oh yes, uh, or when the when the Seahawks were playing the 49ers for every five dollar super chat, uh, we choked Big Cock Brock. Oh, that and and then. You told like an embarrassing story of yourself at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, uh, we did truth or dare. Yes. Ah, uh, that's right. Yes. So on that note, we will uh, go. We'll wrap up. Uh, as Tom Fullery always does, this went a wild direction from where we started. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> but it was well worth it, folks. If you made it this far in the show, uh, more power to you. You were in for a doozy today. This was quite the experience. You know, the Joe Rogan experience, they call that an experience. I think this was the the Tyler and Tom experience today. The Tom Fuller experience. Yeah. You got, the, you you got, got everything. From the submarines to Nashville to Tom Fuller to jerking off in a guest bedroom, you know, like we covered it all today. Uh, big thanks to uh, Angelica Trinone for joining us. Um, she's fantastic. Check out all her work uh, covering the West Virginia Mountaineers. 
Uh, big thanks to Jose for stepping in on the draft stuff. Coach Bo is going to be back next week. Uh, and you, the listener, as well, for joining us. Check out the Studio Soapbox Network, this show, uh, as well as Let's Go Racing with David Starr and uh, the Coach Bodo's podcast and more uh, on all podcast platforms, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, and more. You can also uh, follow us on social media, Facebook.com, uh, Tyler Jones Live, Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Studio underscore Soapbox, uh, Thomas underscore Bridges, Instagram, Jones on underscore reports, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, you can find us there. For Thomas Bridges, our entire crew of Tyler Jones, thanks a lot. It's been another edition of Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.